Hello, it is Thursday, the 16th of April, day X of quarantine. Got a good show for you. I mean, I think you're going to say, hey, good show. Happy I allowed that to penetrate my ears and face today. And we can't thank you enough for choosing to do so. Please remember to use hashtag this is where I'm at, Pat, and tweet me a picture of where you're listening to this at. Zito will be going around handing out some free merch to people that tweet that. And also, it's nice to know where the hell some people are. Some people will show me a little bit too much of themselves in places that they probably shouldn't have taken pictures, but I respect it. Zito respects it, and we're handing out a lot of merch. Let's get to today's show, and let's try to give a little mental vacation in the middle of this uncertainty. You're the best. I like what he did there. Nathan, Nathaniel really brought it. Uh, does it go by Nathan or Nathaniel? Uh, Nathaniel is how he introduced himself. I kind of got to dock a couple points there. Anybody that forces somebody to call you Nathaniel, I think you should be slapped in the mouth. But I like this call <laughs> early, and I appreciate him. Uh, he was down there in Louisiana. Thought he was potentially going to ask about a guy who's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft coming up next week. He who is training that man is the leader of the quarterback summit, former quarterback in the NFL for a long, long time, and also the man who created an app that tells you when to pee during movies, Jordan Palmer. Jordan. Hey, come on, guys. I took louder. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan. I'm going to be on, honest. I think go. I think why we got quiet is you kind of look like a skinnier Garth Brooks right now. Oh, I feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. On the Nathaniel forcing somebody to, to call you by uh, the longer version of your name, I, I couldn't help but think of Mitchell Trubisky uh, early on, uh, who wanted to be Mitchell and not Mitch. And now... It's just Nicholas Foles. <laughs> oh, wow. Shot across the bow from the quarterback summit leader. Uh, we'll talk about other quarterbacks, but obviously the big conversation right now, especially for you, is your guy Joe Burrow. How has training been? Have you found a way to make him even better than what he already was? I don't know how you would do that. How is the pro day, simulated pro day, and everything like that going for Joe Burrow in the quarterback summit right now? Well, Joe's in a unique spot because um, – the plan was he was never going to run a 40 or do a pro pro agility drill or L drill or any of the, the running events. Um, and, and Kyler Murray went, had the same approach last year. Um, part of it's because of what he put on tape. And part of it's because if you're kind of going to be the number one pick, do you want to invest the amount of time that you would put, which is really about 24 different workouts for an hour long where you would work on those things. So is that the best use of time or is it better to just, you know, show up to Indianapolis. Last time we talked was in Indianapolis, meet with the teams. And then when you have your pro day, which was supposed to be April 4th, and when you have your pro day, then you just throw. Um, well, the pro day is obviously canceled with what's going on in the world. And um, and so for him, uh, the, the draft training process is kind of concluded. When stuff started getting hairy and travel started getting hairy, he, he went back home with his family. Um, and he's just been breaking down tape. Um, getting to know these divisions better, getting to know these defensive, uh, you know, these coordinators better. And he's just been working on the mental part of his game, throwing at his high school and working out because right now it's just difficult to um, to even get a field space. I've got a handful of NFL vets out here and we're, it's like we're, you know, in a skateboard video where we're going to try and skateboard on a rail as long as we can until security throws us <laughs> off. Um, and so it's just a weird times, but Joe is, I think the least affected guy by this. Um, because uh, it doesn't affect his draft process. It's not going to affect his stock, and he's going to be ready to rock anyways. You need to get a big black out there. Uh, he used to take care of all that stuff for Rob Daredeck. And if I, if I know anything. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. to big black. I got a chance party with that guy one night. 
Great time. Big Black. Shout out to Big Black. Um, do you think Joe Burrow's ready to be the guy? There's always there's all these you have to say yes, obviously, because you're his uh coach. But what do you what makes you think that this guy who had one massive year, a mic drop type year, where you win a national championship, you win the Heisman, now you're the number one overall pick. How will he be able to uh sustain that success in this incredibly hot run that he's on? What what is his makeup that makes you think like this guy is gonna be that guy in the NFL? Yeah. I have to say yes, um, but I don't have to give a good answer. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Bingo. So um, you know, part of it is when I met him, it was, it was, uh, 12 months ago. So it was really before he had come onto the scene. And all I can tell you is that almost every single thing that happened this year, he was, he was expecting that to happen and not in a cocky way, but he's like, listen, we're going to, we got a team that can win the national championship. And if we do my receivers, this coordinator, you know, what we're doing on offense, Again, I, me and the guys around me just kind of watched everything that happened this year is all kind of stuff that he had talked about um, and stuff that I believed could happen too. Um, you start hearing about who Jamar Chase is and Justin Jefferson and the tight end and, you know, the running, but you start hearing about these guys and he goes, people don't realize how, who we have on defense. You know, this is a team that had 18 guys at the NFL combine this year, which is a record. So it's, they didn't just have Joe Burrow and a bunch of slappies. They had like the best team that LSU's had. And so, for him to be able to have the confidence to see that happen and then go ahead and make sure that it, each week he continued to get better. But then when at the end of the season, when you have the playoffs and the Heisman and all the pressure and the media, for him to continue to get better because people forget he got better. His best games were at the end was when all the pressure and expectations and all that stuff where that's what you play with Peyton. Like, that's what those guys deal with. They deal with ridiculous expectations unrealistic um uh you know people's pe what people are demanding from them or it's unrealistic at times and the great ones still deliver year in year out when they're bad when they lose their tackle when the defense isn't very good and what they just kind of weather those storms and they put together great careers and so joe has all those pieces the last thing i'll say is he took over a high school program that had never won and they won and then he took over lsu and they did something that LSU's never done before. So when I start to see that happen over and over again, to me, that's a pattern. That's not a you know great season. That's not a got lucky with good receivers. That is a pattern, and I think that's what the teams are going to look for him to do too. I love his his calm, cool demeanor. I saw him at the SEC championship in warmups, actually, and it was before a lot of people were in the stadium. He was just in a shirt, a t-shirt. He had some headphones on. And they had, all across the stadium, they zoomed in on his face. And he just looked so, like, I don't want to say confident, but he did. It was like this calm, cool, biggest game he's ever played in the SEC championship. The whole world is bearing down on him. You got Tim Tebow on the sideline. You got CBS on the sideline. You got game day. Everybody's there. I could feel on the sideline. I was in a, I was in a suite. I was up in a suite. <laughs> oh, you're in a suite. Yeah, yeah, I was in a suite. But I was... I was having a good time, but I was up in a suite and he just, it seemed like he didn't even have anything that rattled him. And then on national championship, I was actually standing less than two feet away from him doing warmups. And he had this same calm national championship game where you learn a lot about people in those massive moments and warmups. You start seeing how they act in the locker room and those big games, getting a chance to see just how calm he was, was something I was like, Oh, this dude has got it. Cause that's what you have to have in that quarterback position. I think his arm is impressive. His hands a little small, but everything else other than that, I think in between the years is he is that dude. I honestly believe that. Yeah, it's almost like 
and there's a couple of guys that have been around like this, but it's almost like he knows something that no one else knows. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Like, it was... like he knows it's going to go really well for him today. You know, and everyone else is kind of wondering. Uh, the, you know, the confidence is, is I don't think it's a hereditary thing. For me, it's the number one thing I train people on. Um, but it, it's not a, a hereditary thing. You don't get it from your dad. It's not a God-given talent, I don't believe. I think it's a muscle. Um, just like a bicep, right? You got two of them right there staring me right in my phone. <laughs> Look at those things. You see these? Um, huh? One thunder cat, and lightning. One hammer. Don't get caught in a storm, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think they it's just like good. just like uh, a regular muscle. It's something you can train and develop. And and Joe's been around this for a long time. Um, a lot of it did come natural for him, but I think it was a series of events that led to him to have this foundation of confidence. But then when you get to do what he just did, yeah. And you go into the NFL, I think he's going in as confident, however you rank this, probably as confident as any quarterback has. I, I genuinely believe that he respects the game. He respects how difficult it's going to be. But I don't think in his heart of hearts he really thinks that this is going to be that big of a deal. Um, and that's what you want. When you take somebody number, number one overall, yeah, they got to get better. They, you got to teach them the things. They got to play. They got to get experience. But what you don't want to have to do is build up some young guy's confidence and convince him that he's good enough to play. And certain players have been picked in the last few years in the first round, and that is a thing that teams either needed to do and did or needed to do and didn't do, and that is the common denominator for busts in the NFL draft. Somebody just poked into my head, and I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but it's really hard not to say his name right now. I'm Go not going to say it. Go it was it was hard for you not to flex, and you ended up flexing. <laughs> Are you talking about Josh Rosen? <laughs> no, I'm talking about a whole list of long people. <laughs> I mean, there's just a bunch of them, you know, and, and you can't draft somebody and go, all right, well, if we can get him confident enough to be able to do this, like, then don't take that guy. Let's talk um, about a guy. Let's talk about a guy whose confidence could have been rattled last year. And you explained to us, and also I, I got a chance to watch Orlovsky make the same argument at Utah State. He didn't have a lot of weapons around him, so there's a lot of hey, I need you to go make plays. He ends up throwing 17 interceptions, but a lot of them are either off of somebody's face or throwing into triple coverage because they're down 20 or something along those lines. Jordan Love's name has gotten very hot in this draft conversation. A guy that you've worked with. How do you feel about his progression, and what do you see ultimately happening with him? Well, I think physically he's got all the stuff that, you know, that you would want in a guy that's going to go as high as he's going to go. I, I think he's going to end up going, you know, the first 15 picks mm. um, just because I think a couple of teams are going to fall in love with him. And the general notion in the NFL is if you feel like this is your guy, then you got to take him wherever you have, whatever that means, wherever you have to take him. And so with Jordan, he's got all the physical things. The biggest things that um, teams have to sort out is, um, you know, he's played at a smaller level school, you know, a higher level than Carson Wentz did at North Dakota State. But there's been a lot of guys come from smaller level schools, yeah. right? You have to see, one, is this going to be too big for him? Can he actually transition? He hasn't really played against a lot of NFL guys. He hasn't played really played with a lot of NFL guys. So what does this look like when we put him with better players and against better players? Um, that's the first box you got to check. And then the second box is um, mentally, can he run all of these different things can he see the field can he learn this which is kind of what you have to make sure that every quarterback can do right that, that's a, that's yeah. a box that every guy has to check whatever level you played at um and so my assessment of him is yeah he can absolutely transition and i do not think this is going to be too big for him you know he had a really tragic childhood and you know became the man of the house at a really really young age and grew up a lot uh, a lot faster than most kids his age 
to me, that's valuable. I th- I saw the same thing, different story, but the same thing with Deshaun Watson when he was coming out. Became mm-hmm. the man of a house, really difficult child, you know, childhood, and so he developed leadership and confidence and the ability to figure things out on your own because no one else has your back. You know, Jordan had a lot of that too, and so that creates a foundation of uh, of a lot of maturity at a young age. And then the second thing is is the can he learn the stuff? And I've spent enough time on the board with him to say definitively the dude is very very smart and he is his recall if you give him a long nfl play his ability to recall that and spit that back to you um if i say h set to gun spread right h hot dual china drive f read alert mustang dragon on a white one which is two plays asking you to have a lot of different things going on jordan is a guy who's capable of really layering on information regurgitating it and uh making decisions so I, I say you take him wherever you feel like you need to take him, but there's a couple of teams that are, I think are already head over heels for him. I'll tell you what, that eight-set Jack in China uh, rollover <laughs> one is is probably the reason why I never got to the NFL quarterback, probably because I could not do what you what you just rolled back Well, here. punters have to have a personal protector. They make the calls, Amen. so then the punters can just focus on kicking it. I would like to let you know, though, I got a good, I got a good couple ducks, dude. I got good ducks. I can get zero. I got you know, from the diaphragm. I've drawn people off sides. That was a weapon for our field goal team. So I often ask, could I maybe call the cadence for the punts? I was shut down every single time, but I well, I did throw that out there. You well, know, you were a Swiss Army knife. Amen. Um, since teams haven't been able to really meet with these players in person, right? Because. I, I heard a story last week about Josh McDaniels flying down to Baker Mayfield in Austin the week of the draft to talk with him to see if he's the guy that they actually want. And you hear about these stories about scouts and maybe even owners and general managers going to meet with players that they're thinking about taking in the first round like two, three days before the draft. Just get one final like, yeah, this is a guy we want to invest a lot of money in. They can't obviously do that. So have a lot of teams been calling you to get like, uh, hey, you've been around this guy on a regular basis or do they reach out? Like, has anybody called you to get information on these players a little bit deeper uh than just what they can see on film yeah 100 percent across a lot of positions but you know the teams have to be resourceful right now um yeah it's a big deal that they can't go through the typical evaluation process but at the same time it's an even playing field nobody can um and so uh, i i think it's yeah it's it's unfortunate and the players that are going to get affected are the ones who really needed a pro day. Oh, yeah. You know, whether they didn't go to the combine or they didn't, you know, do well at the combine, who really needed a good, you know, have a pro day. And the guys who really needed the the 30 visits. So every NFL team, for those who don't know, they get 30 visits. They can bring in 30 players. They don't have to bring in 30, but they can bring up to 30. Um, and they basically spend a whole day there, kind of like a glorified recruiting trip. Um, but they're evaluating the players. Well, there's a lot of players that, you know, their stuff, they played well on tape. But it didn't show up in Indy. But if you got to spend a day with them, you'd fall in love with them. Mm. Those guys are going to miss out. And there's and that's not specific to any position group. The guy where, you know, if, if I'm looking at a bunch of punters who can all have the same average, but you bring in a Pat McAfee who's got a big personality and cool and who has gunned up. I mean, I'm talking about gunned up. Right? Look at that. Oh, he got triceps too. Oh! 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 You ever see that, Jordan? Huh? Rear naked joke on the microphone. It happened so fast. I don't know that I did see it happen. So, um, but 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 in all seriousness, if I bring in a dork who can punt it just as far as you, and I bring in you, yeah. like that thirty visits going to have a better effect. Like you're going to go with the guy who's the personality. So that it's going to affect those players who needed either the visits or needed uh, the pro days. It's going to affect the teams who 
love a player, but they aren't sure if it's a fit in the locker room. So they need to meet with him in person. They need to look him in the eyes and ask him, hey, blah, blah, you know, these, this question, this question, this question. So the, that's the effect it's going to have on the players. That's the effect it's going to have on the team. I don't think it's going to have any effect on the game. I don't think it's going to have any effect on fantasy football or the fans' perspective. So really? take it with a grain of salt. People are going to go low. A couple guys are going to go lower than they should have, and a couple of guys are going to go higher than they should have. I would say a little bit more than a normal year is my prediction. How's Joe going to spend here the draft night? Obviously, you said he's back with his parents. Is that in Ohio? He's already back in Ohio with his parents. Will he just be there with? Because it's a big moment getting drafted to the NFL. You get a chance your entire life you're trying to work this moment. Now, granted, Joe Burrow said all he ever wanted to do was win a national championship in college because that was his dream. But now you get a chance to experience the NFL, and they're telling these guys you can only have six people in your room or whatever that case is. Is that what Joe's going to be hold up with? His family in uh back in ohio yeah i think everyone's kind of back home right now wherever they've been quarantining is where they're going to do this and um you know for joe he's a big family guy he's loyal to his, his you know his buddies and so um you know it, like it's that. actually the route that a lot of guys choose you know a lot of guys stay home marcus mariota was in hawaii and Jameis winston was you know back home and i can just picture a lot of high picks patrick mahomes stayed home um and so that a lot of guys have, have gone that route now i'm just bummed because the NFL draft, I've been in the green room the last six years, and uh, it is cool. It is a special, you know, once-in-a-lifetime deal. Yeah. And uh, um, so it's a bummer to miss out on that, especially this year was going to be sick. Yeah, they were going to be in a green room. They were going to get on a boat in the, pot, in the like, water fountain at the Bellagio or something. It was going to be sweet. I mean, Somebody's going off that boat, right, at some point. <laughs> I would. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. obviously, I would. If I was drafted in the first round and they sent a damn ferry over for me to go across the ocean's eleven pond at the end, I mean, I, I'm already drafted, right? Sign the paperwork. Yeah, all right, here we go. I would have been gone in a matter of moments. Going back to your uh, pre-draft visit, my visit with the Colts, Tom Telesco, who's now uh, the Los Angeles Chargers general manager. My meeting with him and meeting with Polian, and th- that was the reason why they took me, they said. And that's why they thought I was athletic enough to figure it out for the VR conversations. That's going to be a massive ordeal. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. You're pretty dialed in in the quarterback world. Obviously, they have Tyrod Taylor right now. The conversation is they could potentially take a quarterback at six, and Love's name has been thrown out there. So is Herbert. So is t- everybody's name has been talked about going to the Chargers. You're a Southern California guy. What do you see happening potentially with them? Well, the, the interesting piece with, with this is that, um, you know, fans aren't going to love this, but Tyrod Taylor, you have to put him in a good position and let him play a full season, in my opinion, to determine that he can't do this. Hmm. Now, I know that there's some sex appeal here of drafting guys high and doing all that, and you go, well, the casual fan would say, well, Tyrod Taylor, you know, he was in Buffalo and it never was really worked out. Then he went to Cleveland and whatever. But he hasn't been in a good situation. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers is a pretty good situation. They got a good back. They got a good pass rush. They got a good secondary. They got some playmakers at wide receiver. So in my opinion, you've got, before you let Tyrod Taylor walk out that door or you stash him on the bench, you need to give him a season and let, and see if he can play. Because there's a reason you hear rumors that, you know, Anthony Lynn loves him and the players love him and uh, other players around the league. He's always working out with Cam Newton. These guys all respect him. Um, But I can remember when he was in Baltimore uh, early on, and I've known him for a long time, and players saying, man, the dude on practice, or the dude playing on practice squad, man, before Flacco won a Super Bowl, 
I don't know who's better, him or Flacco. Mm. I remember players telling me that. I don't know what the media said. I just remember players on the Ravens telling me, dude, this guy Tyrod Taylor can play. And he just hasn't been in good situations. And so I think if you're the Chargers, there's a lot to look at at this draft. But I also believe they know what they got there too. And so it'll be interesting. If they have somebody ranked number one overall and they fall to them at six, you got to evaluate that. But I don't know that you can just cast Tyrod Taylor aside yet. Well, Jordan, I appreciate you for your time, your brain, your Garth Brooks beard, everything. I can't thank you enough, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, thanks for coming on. Next week, you're going to be loaded, I assume, with interviews. Well, I'll be back. Uh, you, you have me around uh, all, all you want, man. I'm just quarantined, moving me? my thing to digital and, uh, and getting ready to, uh, you know, Take over the world here. Me and AJ Hawk are doing a draft night primetime special. McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk primetime draft special. Aaron Rodgers is coming on. Can we slot you in to come on uh, draft night? I love AJ. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. After Joe Burrow gets drafted and whatever happens, happens, you come on. Now here. people are going to watch that. Yeah. Now is it. Thank you, Jordan, for giving us a little bit of rating. I mean, Aaron, Aaron doesn't move the needle at all. Jordan Paul. <laughs> Take that down. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Palmer. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Welcome to McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. I'm Pat McAfee. To my left, the handsome, the man who once covered a box of cereal, AJ Hawk. AJ! What's up, man? How you doing, Pat? I know Mondays sometimes are tough for you to get back into the groove. Are you back yet? Uh, yeah, I'm back. Every once in a while, sometimes this office stumbles out of the weekend until about Thursday. We hit our stride, and then we're back into the weekend again. But not this week. It's been a great Tuesday. Very thankful to be here. And a big mood booster for the entire office in this COVID-19 quarantine was the, the arrival of the Buckeye Heroes cereal with, this way, with our friend, AJ Hawk in the middle, right here, 47. Wow. Bobby Carpenter, right here. And then a Paisan, Tony Schlegel. Schlegel. Yeah, that box is pretty. What is it? 15, 16. Is there still cereal in there? Oh, yeah. If you shake it. Uh, got some back here, too. Kind of got ripped off with the cereal. We only got a cardboard box that only has one autograph on it. And it's of a guy I'd never heard of before. And then you flip it on the back, Anthony Schlegel. Turns out this dude is a madman. On the back here, Foxy, can you get another shot of the back here? On the back here, it provides a little bio for each player. Let's read Anthony Schlegel's first, shall we? Mm-hmm. Anthony Schlegel, linebacker, 6'2", 245. Good, good wow, size. Great size, yeah. You know, in Ohio, they make them big out oh, yeah. there. He's from Texas, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you say that because Anthony says earning helmet stickers was his favorite Ohio State tradition, and no one collected them with greater passion. The free-spirited, aggressive, offensive disruptor was second on the team with 82 tackles in 2005, including seven for loss. He's a tough, durable, physical specimen, evidenced by the fact that he set world weightlifting records for the 19 and under 220 and 240 pound weight division with deadlifts of 662 pounds and 672 pounds. Also, side note, he goes wild boar hunting with just a knife and a dog. Anthony Schlegel. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, if you want to see him still doing that, Schlegel's like 38 right now, and he posts videos uh, of him in his workshop in 
cowboy boots and jeans, still deadlifted 600 pounds. He's free spirit. He smoke all the vitamins. No, he's. I mean, he's actually like one of the most like legit humans alive. But he had a, a fun, wild time while he was at Ohio State for sure. But he was always still a good guy. Now he's just tamed it back a little bit. Go on. What did he do in Columbia? He was pretty. Oh, well- he transferred from the Air Force Academy, and Bobby and myself actually hosted him on this official visit. And yeah, like Anthony's first couple months on campus. I mean, the guy's a legend, pretty much. Oh, here he is. Yeah. Look at that guy in cowboy boots. <laughs> Anthony Schlegel. That guy on a recruiting visit to the Ohio State took down 35 women in one weekend. <laughs> I saw a video of him powerbombing a student that rushed the field, too. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, was, uh, he was an assistant strength coach for four or five years at Ohio State, and yeah, he slammed a dude that ran on the field. A lot of guys, they lift that weight, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You look at that guy, he does not like he should be able to lift that amount of weight that he just did in that video. Yeah, he's well, he's 6'2", 245, probably 6'2", what, 215 now at this point. That's a lot of weight mm-hmm. he's moving with them shit kickers on. Oh, oh I mean, those in <laughs> denim with flannel. <laughs> Anthony Schlegel, this guy plays no games. He's the only one that signed this box, by the way, so I'm actually honored about that now. The other person on the box here, the Buckeye Heroes, Honey Nut Toasted Oats, low-fat food. Right here on the side with the visor, old Bobby Carpenter. It says about Bobby, in four years at Ohio State, Bobby earned a reputation as a big-game performer. He's a classic defensive force, a player who can overpower a blocker or sprint past him to make his tackles. A tenacious pass rusher, Bobby posted eight sacks in 2005, including a school record tying four for 27 yards and losses against Michigan State. He posted a total of 11 tackles in that game, turned Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week acclaim. Bobby is the son of former NFL standout Rob Carpenter. Was Bobby insufferable after that Michigan State game? (laughs) No, I do remember the game, though, when he, he kept getting sacks over and over. No, Bobby was Bobby. He's Bobby 100% of the times. He never changes. Oh, yeah. Now let's read about the top billing. Oh. The man that's on top of the back. He's also the man that's in the front of the three. Let's remember this guy. 662-pound deadlift, 6'2", 245, absolute stud in cowboy boots. This guy had four sacks in one game against Michigan State. Ooh. But who's in front of all of them? A.J. Hawk. A.J. Hawk. A.J. Hawk. A relentless tackling machine. A.J. won the 2005 Rotary Lombardi Award as the nation's top linebacker or lineman. He's also earned Big Ten Defensive MVP honors after making 121 tackles, including seven and a half sacks. 17 of his tackles resulted in 85 yards and losses for the opposition. He led the Buckeyes in tackles in three different seasons. In the college game, he was almost impossible to block. Now, scouts are projecting him to be a monstrous force in the pro fucking game. AJ <laughs> Buckeye hero. Where'd you guys find that? <laughs> On the internet, 47 bucks. <laughs> no, I think it was like five bucks now, I'm mm. sure. It's like a five oh, you put it up there next to Aaron? Wow. Yeah. You're up there next to Aaron. Good for you, All right. pal. That's no small praise. That That'll bode praise. well for our primetime draft special. See that? We got Jordan Palmer joining us in that uh, primetime draft special. Look at that little tag team. Well, I guess it's a foursome, but <laughs> we only really know two of them. The two in the front are who we're here for. Mm-hmm. The mustache man and then the guy number 47 in there. 
Hey, you mentioned Jordan Palmer. He's going to join us for our draft special, our, our primetime edition of that on, on the Thursday night, the first night of the draft. It, it's a good thing we're having him. Or, well, we wouldn't be able to get Jordan Palmer the night of the draft if it wasn't going to be done virtually. Wouldn't he usually be with some of those prospects that he trains? Six straight years in a green room, he said. This is the first time, obviously, in about seven years he hasn't been back there. I assume he's been with a first-round quarterback each of the last – six years this year he's got two up there he said jordan love's gonna go in top 15 and he also dropped a little gem on the show earlier he said the chargers are gonna stick with tyrod taylor after telling me that nfl teams had called him about the players he's been working out so that makes me think that this conversation that the Chargers are gonna take quarterback probably not an accurate one because i think he would have been asked jesus by the chargers about jordan love and such and since that's not happening he says he thinks they're sticking with tyrod taylor i don't think that six pick is going to be a quarterback or the chargers that's just what i got out of it i was also on some vitamins and reaching for things because there's no really not much else to talk about <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean i never know what to believe and obviously jordan is dialed in with all the the teams and the, the most likely number one overall pick in joe burrow and and jordan love as well but what how do you know when you can believe it, Pat? And they're not just feeding him something that they want him to put out there to throw other people off the scent. Jordan won't lie to me. He's coming on a draft time special. He tells the I'm truth. not saying he's lying. I'm saying Tell what the if truth. the teams <laughs> are giving him misinformation? Well, I think teams, because they can't meet with these players in person, they're calling anybody that knows them or has been around them to try to get a little bit more background information. Just like last week, I forget who told us. Somebody told us that Josh McDaniels flew down to Austin to meet Baker the week of the draft just to see if they liked him. You hear stories about GMs traveling around the country day before the draft, even two days before the draft, just to get one final meet with a guy you're potentially going to pay millions and millions of dollars to. And they can't do that anymore. So I think they would be calling around. I think Jordan would be a guy that they would call. And the fact that he's saying that he feels as if the Chargers – are going to go with Tyrod Taylor this year in another position, I think is pretty telling. Honestly, I do believe it's telling. Now, he had a Garth Brooks-like beard on there. He had a hat. He said everybody had been working out for home because of quarantine and stuff like that. But I just think that's something that a team would call him to try to get a little bit more information on his love guy. You want to call the guy that's training him. Don't you think so? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, I guess, a little bit. And Jordan is going to give his honest opinion because he knows next year he's going to have some other quarterbacks that are going to go high in the draft. So you want to be credible to these coaches and GMs and scouts that call you. So I, uh, it would make sense for him to give the truth about his guys if he truly, like, where Tell he the thinks truth. they can play, what kind of system they would work in. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? That's why it's going to be a fun draft. Tell the truth. Have you, you haven't even seen that movie, and you keep saying that line. <laughs> I have seen that movie. Have you ever seen it? The CTE movie with Will Smith? Concussion. I have not actually seen the movie. <laughs> I'm just not super motivated to to watch it now. Well, I'm, I, I watched it, and I went into the locker room the next day and told all my teammates not to watch it. It'll scare the hell out of you. It scared the hell out of me. I was very Not for me, obviously, but for a lot of my friends that I've seen them just run their faces <laughs> into things for all these years. It was, a, it was a scary movie. Will Smith tells the truth. Yeah, where is that guy now, that doctor? Didn't they say he was kind of a snake oil salesman? I've seen some hit pieces on that dude put out there basically saying, oh, he's benefiting from all of this and no. goes on speaking tours. Oh, Dr. No. Dr. Bennett Amala? He had some trumped up evidence. That's not what doctors do. Doctors don't lie about stuff to give themselves, put themselves over in the wrestling world. That's saying he was part of Big Concussion? Big Concussion. Are you on Merrill Hodges' side that it's all fake? No, I'm not on. I don't know what side I'm on. It's Myron honestly. Cope. <laughs> 
What'd you say? It cut me off. I couldn't hear. I said Merrill Hodge wrote a book that basically said that CTE is fake, and he did a, a Myron Cope. Double yoy. Yeah, that's a yoy. That's Double a yoy. That's the former voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the man that created terrible towel. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> he never said that, but that is who he's referring to is Myron Cope. He confused that with Merrill Hodge because he heard an M and an R in the first name. <laughs> and just as a parrot, he just immediately said the first thing he absolutely did. Yes! <laughs> it's understandable. I can see how he made that mistake. Yeah, absolutely. You, you think it's all fake, huh? You don't think CT is real? Not at all. Stop putting words in my mouth. <laughs> AJ Hawk, Buckeye hero, CT is fake. Thinks Will Smith was lying in that movie? I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak on the movie. I don't know where I fall in the whole CT concussion. Does playing football put you at greater risk of brain damage absolutely but what everything does i just don't know to what extent and i don't claim to to understand it all like some people think they do all right let's move forward then (laughs) you think bill belichick believes will smith was telling the truth (laughs) do you think any of those guys care no, right? No. Can't. No. The NFL had to say that like safety is our number one priority. That was years ago, by the way. A lot of players during the CBA thing were like, well, they talk about player safety. They, you haven't heard the NFL talk about player safety in a couple years. The last time they talked about player safety was when the concussion movie came out and they were battling the CTE PR and they were getting sued by ex-players. And then they ultimately ended up settling, and each player got like $45 or something like that. <laughs> it was a really good move by... Uh, the war on football. Yeah, by, there was a war on football there for a little bit. When people were thinking that, by the way, football's not going to survive. Parents are going to let their kids play. There's no future for the NFL. All this stuff was happening. So they came out, and they said, our number one priority is uh, player safety. They change rules, heads-up football. They're doing this entire thing. You haven't heard that for a couple of years. So whenever the players were coming out during this new CBA, and they're like, well, all they talk about is player safety. It's like, they actually... To their benefit, they have not talked about player safety for the last couple of years. They, they, they've kind of pivoted away from that since the war in football is over and directly dove into the let's get the money, all the money pile. I don't think well, it's talked about player safety. All you hear from now, all you hear about safety with the NFL is the concussion. They, they list concussions. Oh, concussions were down 14% this year from last year. I'm like, first off, there's no – it's like when you see a poll that – Let's say there's a poll that they say, oh, this guy is something. Have you ever taken a poll, Pat? Like, has, Have you ever been nope. stopped on the street and agreed and said, oh, yeah, I would love to fill this form out? Nope. They said 75% of people won't go back into public gatherings uh, for the fo- in time for the football season. It was like, who did they interview? And they were like, it was a Yale study. It's like, well, they need to get out of that little yuppie territory and interview some people out here that were willing to not go to another NFL game ever again if that national anthem thing continued. Ask them if they'll go to a game after this uh, pandemic ends or whatever. They're hopping right back into those stadiums. They're high-fiving people. They couldn't wait to high-five people. (laughs) They're talking about, oh, maybe no more handshakes. People will be scared to do it. I don't think out here in America, people are going to be hugging, kissing more than they ever have in the past because of the stir craziness of being locked up. I honestly believe that. And I agree. One of the first things you learn in college, I forget which class it was. I went to only like four of them. It was either sociology or something else. And they're like, polls, yes, they're good data. But the immediate question after you see a poll is, who was polled? That is all you should ask. Because if you go to 100 people in Indianapolis 
and you say, do you know who Pat McAfee is? And they go, yes, we, we could set that poll up to say, we polled 100 people in the United States, and all 100 people knew who Pat McAfee was. You go outside of Indiana, though, you, do you know who Pat McAfee is? No, no. We could rig that poll to go any direction that we could possibly want it to go. And that's just the deception of some facts and stats and numbers that people can do and have been doing with the growing number of stats that have been appropriated for different things. Well, you know, Roger Goodell in the NFL should thank Tom Brady. If you remember in the Howard Stern interview, Howard asked him, oh, are, would you let your kids or are you going to let your kids play football? And Tom, without hesitation, said absolutely. Like, and he, he laid out a bunch of great things that contact sports kind of do to build you as a person and join, like the camaraderie and what you learn about yourself, being tested through physical contact and all of that stuff. If Tom would have said, no, I would never let my kids play football. Big like that's deal. so dangerous. Can you imagine like the backlash towards the NFL that would have caused? Tom, by the way, potential guy that I would have thought would have said no about his kids playing football, by the way. So him coming out yeah. and saying yes, that's a big deal. And I do believe that getting smacked in your mouth can teach you some things growing up. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Like think about all of the times you played other positions other than kicker and punter, didn't you? No, no, but I was a stud everywhere you. What well, do you like I, okay, you can at least we we talked about how nervous you would be sometimes going to bed the night before your conditioning test, remember? Yes, yes, and punting to Tyreek Hill, yeah. Exactly. Like, there's a different level of, like, anxiety you get, especially as a young kid, like, when it's first day of pads the next day, or you know you're going to be doing hamburger drills, we call it, when you lay on your back and stand up and just try to kill each other. Things like that, oh, you like, Oklahoma's. it's tough to sleep going into those days. <laughs> You're all anxiety. You're kind of nervous, and all of a sudden you get done. You're like, man, I'm glad I did that. I, I love a lot about myself. I love that Ohio just refuses to acknowledge another state's football drill, <laughs> and the rest of the world calls them Oklahoma's. Not in Ohio, we call them hamburger drills because we're trying to pancake these sons of bitches. No, it's different. It, hamburgers one on one. Just I'm laying. Oh, okay. Oh, with yeah. one person, you just get up. So basically, whoever oh. gets up the fastest. Yeah. Kills the dude. There's no ball. There's no ball involved usually. I played running back uh, in one of those drills where there was um, Oklahoma drills. So stupid with the running back. Like it's almost impossible to make a tackle. It's you awesome. have blockers for every person there. I look so athletic. I look so athletic because the defense. You guys, they blow the whistle obviously, and you got an offensive lineman and defensive lineman. You got a linebacker and a tight end, and then you got to try to make your. The running back has like an alley that you got to make it through, and they let me do one in college, and boy. I thought I was going to get some reps that weekend. I, I see you. I'm gone. The, oh, the fifth string D lineman just rolled back on his back, almost jumped over him. I, I felt like an absolute stud. You know, you would have loved doing it at Ohio State. I don't even know what we called it, but I think it was there's two offensive linemen, then two defensive guys, and a running back. But then there was a safety with no blocker on him. Oh. But the DB coach was holding him back. So he would hold, hold, hold. And he, you couldn't go right when the ball snapped, but he would hold him until the running back would kind of start to break through that initial line oh my God. and there would be massive <laughs> oh, yes. collisions between that unblocked DB and the running back. We had a coach, um, I forget if it was Bill Stewart when Bill Stewart took over. Bill Stewart loved those drills. For every, the first drill of every practice, when he thought there wasn't enough juice, when there wasn't enough juice in the practice, he would set that thing up to lead off the day. Oh my God, these guys are just rolling out of class. And they like do like a quick little five minute stretch. They just stumbled into the facility, and then whammy! It's like, all right, here we go. We're gonna do these till the defense gets a stop. Here, we, and these guys are just killing each other. I used to, I, I think that's how I got in is because they're like, we're waiting for the defense to get a stop. Uh, McAfee, get, get, why don't you fucking get in there? They'll tackle you, and then I scoot around. You think I'm gonna get hit? No way, too delicate, because I used to. But I do believe that football 
and contact sports and team sports teach you about stuff. I think it helps you learn how to work when you're tired. Like, I think that's something that people don't, don't do sports, get to truly experience. And whenever they get later in their life, when they get a little bit tired, they haven't been forced either by their peers or a coach to power through that incredible fatigue and kind of perform at a high level. I think sports helps you with that, whether it's a game or the practice or the training. I think that is something that that peer pressure of having to make it, even though your whole body wants to quit and die, I think that's something that you can't learn in a lot of places. And that's why I enjoy team sports. And by the way, that's why my kid is going to play quarterback in the NFL someday. Why Why quarterback? Just because you want to make all the money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, dad wants to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You know what it does physical, like playing combat sports, it, it teaches you like, oh, you thought you knew what, exhaustion was what it felt like to be tired and it's one thing to be tired and have to power through and run a mile or something it's another thing to be dead tired where your whole body and your brain saying like hey you're done like sit on the ground like you you can't breathe your legs hurt so bad and then you got to push through for another hour and a half of physical contact where you know like i can't just throw my head in there i gotta bring it or i'm gonna get killed like i think it teaches you to push through those things so it makes everything else in life a lot easier you ever run into somebody in the hole it looks like this aj <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would have done very well. How much you weigh right now? I don't know, buddy. I'm scared to get on the scale, to be honest with you. <laughs> Are you? Because after the fall, I was up 30 from the fall. Then Were I, you really up 30? You told me that. I don't believe you. Yeah, I was 265 or something like that by the Jeez. end of fall. I was very large. Very, you could see it. You could see it here. The so what are you at now then? You got to be like 230? No, I think I'm like 250 right now So because I was down 20. So I was, down, I was on a sharp decline. I was getting fit. I could see my jawline again. And then I got locked down, and my lady became this incredible baker. I mean, and I, got, I just got massive amounts of things at the house at all times. And then Easter happened. You know, Jesus yep. came out of that cave, so those eggs come around. And then it just hasn't stopped. It's been a nonstop. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, the problem yeah. with you, you're always going to weigh a lot. You're going to weigh more than you look because let's say you're 250 pounds right now. I'd say 222 of that is in your lower half. Good call. I mean, let's not get crazy, but good call. <laughs> you know what I'm built? I'm built like a barrel. So you see this, like, torso-wise? So anytime I get a little fat on me, you see it when I have to sit down for my job. Unless I have that perfect patty posture that some people – I don't know how people do it, how they, like – It's hard to do it for, like, five or six hours a day, like, when you're on camera. Well, today we're going to talk about sports and sit perfectly like this. On t I don't know how. I don't <laughs> you know how. Microdose. Well, they got that thing that. Uh, yeah, you got to pinch the shoulders. It shocks you, I think. It's, yeah. I, I almost got influenced into buying it a couple of times. But oh, the, it's on Instagram, right? Yeah, but the commercial is like literally the person like getting like. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that's. If that's how. Sh <laughs> That'd be good for radio. That'd I don't know if I show. want it. That, yeah, like get into like hours. <laughs> oh, we're back. Might have to do it for that draft. That thing could take forever with the tech, the tech uh, gl glitches. That's the word. The tech glitches that are going to happen with that draft. We do need to figure out what the time schedule is like for the draft. What are they? Is it scheduled eight to ten? Do we know? I have no idea. And no, honestly, they, none of us can guess because the amount of technology fails that they're going to have. I, I don't think that is being. Estimated. But the picks are going to happen. They're not going to delay the picks. They still have to happen, even if their Zoom fails. Like there's going to be like redundancy programs in place like hey all else fails we got four burner phones we can call our pick in yeah but what if they want to trade like how, what if the trade gets held up because of technology you know what i mean like i think there's going to be people that are going to want to move potentially hey, anybody, the you know, let's say man I, I wonder like with the phone lines and stuff if you want to trade and you want to work work some deals like you normally would do is there any way where 
other teams, like we were talking about hiring hackers early on to like monitor calls, but no, what if you somehow jammed up their lines so they can't really get through and communicate with the people they want to? Oh. There's a separate line, I believe, yes. for trades. But there's what like if a- you jam that? What if you somehow inundate one team's like all of their different lines and their different coaches? It just it doesn't have to shut them down, but you just make it very you difficult got, for those guys to communicate. You got to remember, every little advantage in the NFL is a real thing. Like that's why you didn't hear a lot of NFL people speaking out against what happened with Brady potentially with that ball thing because everybody in the NFL is like, uh, let's just let's. Let's get past this. And and like whenever the Spygate thing happened and Roger Goodell decided to burn the tapes or whatever like that, like everybody in the NFL is trying to get that advantage. If you think you could potentially get an advantage by hiring some young nerd to potentially hold up a trade, that is a move that one of these billionaires would most certainly make is if it's going to help them potentially win a Super Bowl or win more games. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that serious. What if they hired some dude for 20 bucks an hour and he goes over there and he somehow clips the line going into the GM's house. So the guy's power is just completely shot. <laughs> Have I ever told you about, um, Something to think about. the time that uh, I had like two tests this one day and uh, we thought we knew where the superintendent lived <laughs> and it was uh, 28 degrees outside so it was freezing but it wasn't snowing and we took uh, like a bunch of water okay, to at like 2, 3 a.m. my friend and I we go to where we thought he lived, and we just dumped his entire front porch with water. We tried to make it like an ice skating thing, you know what I mean? Because we thought when he woke up in the morning, he would go out to check to see if he should delay school or cancel school, and it was, it was supposed to be a little snow, and we thought he'd walk out there and just catch it on the porch and just fucking bust ass and be like, oh, we gotta cancel school because everything's frozen. Turns out we got the neighbor almost fucking paralyzed the lady when she was heading to work, so school was still on. Got That's notes. not a terrible idea, honestly. I give you some credit. That was high school? Yeah, it was high school. I felt really good about it. I mean, it was... I mean, but don't you think the superintendent would take a little more into account than just the first 10 feet of their walkway <laughs> that you try to pour water on? I try to get his hip early. You know, I try to get him early there. Like, literally right in front of the door, I was loading that thing up. I mean, we had... Yeah, so maybe if, like, maybe if he was on the fence, he's like, ah, I don't know. It's kind of... We're kind of <laughs> in between. Should I cancel? Should I not? And then all of a sudden, bam, he's on the back of his head, hits the concrete. He's like, all right, guys, go have fun today. Exactly. He's dead. That's what I thought was going to happen. Turns out we got the wrong house. Well, I didn't learn that until like a week later. How'd you find out? Well, I was told a story by somebody who lived in the neighborhood about a potential neighbor almost going down. <laughs> I was like, uh, let's check the house. And they pointed at the house. And I was like, so the superintendent does not live there. They're like, no, that's uh, Mrs. Insert name here. And I was like, almost killed a lady. Almost <laughs> killed a lady. But I. You know, failed those tests. So I, I was doing it for a good reason. I knew that I was going to have no shot in those tests. I thought I was smart. But I see somebody potentially doing that to a team in this draft, if possible. They would ice the porch of their phone lines to potentially slow them down from making a trade. Yeah, I think anything's on the table. Like, who knows what is going to happen? That's what makes it really fun to think about. And what makes, what makes me excited is thinking of all of these coaches and scouts and GMs like, right now, they're working so hard to get their little draft room set up. Like, oh, okay, this is where I'm going to be. This is all my plans. If this goes down, if my Wi-Fi isn't good, I got to make sure I got to shut my kids up. They can't be streaming anything. I need to have a good connection. It's going to be cool to see, especially some of these old-school coaches oh. that don't even know how to turn on a computer. I can't wait to see. But luckily for them, their work is already done in the draft. Like, they're not pulling the trigger on who you're going to pick. They just turn in their reports on the guys they scouted so you don't have to count on them. But – 
the GM, the owners. I mean, Belichick is the coach slash GM, so he's making all those decisions. But most coaches don't really – the, the assistant coaches don't really have anything to do with the draft. All coaches do is normally just bitch about the draft. <laughs> yeah. That's normally what coaches do. Coaches are normally so pissed off. If you're a defensive coordinator and it's like the fifth straight year of getting an offensive player in the first round, you're like, of course, trying to screw us again. We'll take whatever they give us. And if you're like a wide receiver coach and they take a running back, or like, well, I guess, I guess they don't care about the wide receivers. Like, there is always little clicks of people that are pissed off regardless. Like, you hear those fans boo immediately after picks are made. There's not a lot of picks that make an entire facility happy either, and that includes coaches, players, everybody. everybody. Yeah, and if you if you run into any coaches that you're you're close enough with and are cool, they're like, well, I don't even know why I turn my my I spend three months profiling all these guys that we've never selected a player that I've I've done a report on. So why do I even turn these things in? I might as well turn them in blank next. <laughs> they're time. so pissed. They get so so mad. I think the assistant coaches that feel as if they didn't get the guy that they wanted. They might be the most pissed out of all the people uh, draft night that you could have. You see those fans that are upset and like throwing their hats. There's coaches that are potentially moving out of their office, just like, well, we're fucked. I'm going to lose. I'm going to get fired here. It's a wild scene. And we'll be live. We will be live. Yes, we will. It'll be fun to watch how we work it out, too, our technology during the draft. It's gonna be we live. can't show anything on screen, obviously, right? Well, can we get Zeke? Can we start building like a little Chiron where you could have a running order a of what? the draft, like number one? A Chiron? Joe Burrow. You got it. Yeah, I got it. I got you. A bottom Chiron that just is scrolling at all times like they, they'll they play Chiron on ESPN. Chiron Zeke. Zeke, you know what a Chiron is? I think he's talking about a ticker. You talking about a ticker? Ticker, Chiron. Yeah, same what thing. What the hell is a Chiron? What, the, what is a Chiron? Someone look it up. It up. Sounds like a draft. Chiron, I think, is more of like a, a graphic on the that. side. A ticker is a, is a moving deal on the bottom of the screen. A Chiron, C-H-Y-R-O-N, is an electronically generated caption superimposed on a television or movie screen. Oh, wow. Good pull. Where the hell? Did you get that at Broadcast Boot Camp? No, I did not. Did you go to Broadcast Boot Camp? Yeah, I did. Ten years ago, maybe. How was it? It was good. It's how a lot many, of work, man. How many up dots did you have to do? <laughs> It's boot camp. They had to do uh, PTO. Up, Dad! No, it's normally just a whistle. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They changed. You no. think a coach is yelling up, up down, and you better move? <laughs> up, down. That's how you think up down. That's how I coach. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Double yoy. Back to Myron Cope. Um. Did you see Christian McCaffrey got $16 million a year for the next four years? Are you happy for him, pumped up for him, excited for him? How do you feel about this? I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm usually uh, weary of giving running backs second contracts, but I think Christian McCaffrey is Why? one of the few that could buck the trend. Why? First off, he truly is a running back slash receiver. I mean, Matt Rule even said that. Like, we can't just label him a running back. He's not a, guy, he's not a running back that – does well catching the ball out of the backfield. You can legit make him your slot receiver. You could put him anywhere on the field and get really creative with him. What He's got two seasons in a row with over 1,000 receiving and over 1,000 rushing. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I think he had, what, 400 and some touches this past season. I don't. You can't give him that many touches moving up forward and, and expect him to hold up, I think, even though he has never missed a game at this point. you got to find a way to give him a little bit of a break physically, but – they're going to build their team around him. So I think that's good for Teddy Bridgewater. Takes pressure off of him and puts more pressure on Chris, Christian McCaffrey. And he's only 23 years old, too. So I wouldn't be completely scared. I understand why they made it, why they did this deal. Um, 
But I think it's – yeah, anytime you pay a running back a second contract, it's scary. Evan Foxy's over here stretching it out. He, his body can't even handle that Christian McCaffrey made all that money. <laughs> oh, Dad! Sorry, just Why not? the back loose. Foxy just had to stand up. He almost walked out of the facility while yeah. you were talking about this team being Christian McCaffrey. What if, are you, is he mad he's not on the Lions? Is that why? Uh, <laughs> Sounds is, like Is that what the problem is? I Welcome. thought I was just getting a little subtle stand up, loosen the back up, keep the program moving. Oh, you, you pushed your chair all the way back here. Yeah, and you made up the you, window. You made a sigh, too. No, uh, Foxy posture. No. I, the interesting thing about this to me is they said they're going to um, – the team is going to be built around Christian McCaffrey, basically, right? When's the last time you've heard that? Build a, build an NFL team around a running back slash receiver. I think fantasy football, back in the day, you were supposed to take a running back first. If I, yep. I'm i not a big fantasy football guy, but I remember listening to my fantasy friends say, like, oh, i got to get a run back in early. You know, the good one's great or whatever. So they used to build their team around it. But for him, they're building this team around this running back slash slot receiver who's put the Carolina Panthers on his back, and he's still making $5 million a year less than Teddy Bridgewater. That is the insanity of the NFL to me. It's like that's the difference between taking the ball from the center and then getting the ball from the quarterback. $5 million a year difference. Because just like you said, this is good for Teddy Bridgewater. Anytime you have a very talented running back, it's great for the quarterback. That's why I thought Le'Veon Bell is a great signing for Sam Darnold. Now, obviously, he gets mono and things like that. Aaron Jones has been great for Aaron Rodgers. You name it, Raheem Mostert for Jimmy, the running back crew there. Everywhere that has a good running back normally has a good wider, or a good quarterback. That's just how it goes. So to have this for Christian McCaffrey, 60 million a year is good. But for Teddy B., First time starting in a long time, basically being the guy. To have that comfort blanket in the backfield for at least the next four years is a beautiful thing. I think it's a good move by Matt Rule moving forward. If you were Teddy Bridgewater, would you take offense to the fact that Matt Rule said, I can't wait to build this thing around him, speaking of Christian McCaffrey? No, because they, they pay me $21 million a year to build it around another guy. I'm okay with that, that they're paying less money to. Okay, that's cool with me. He's going to get hit more? All right. <laughs> I'm getting paid more, and they're building it around that guy, and he's getting hit more? Sign me up. I'm doing my motorbike right through that. Teddy, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater doing that motorbike all the way through that. Isn't Teddy probably used to it, too? Because probably the last time it was built around a running back was Adrian Peterson when he was in Minnesota. And he was a pro bowler on a way to being an absolute stud with the Vikings whenever that was happening. Good call. And who were the quarterbacks during that time, though, when, when it was built around Adrian? They had Christian Ponder for a minute. They had some, I should know. I was playing against him at the Matt time. Matt Castle was there for a while. Joe Webb. Don't, don't forget about Joe Webb. That's on bitch. Could throw it. I think Joe Webb started a playoff game against us in Green Bay. Tavares Jackson. Rest in peace, Tavares Jackson. Jackson. Tavares Jackson rest oh, you're right. Tavares was there. Yeah, that's a terrible story about Tavares. It, it sucks. But uh, Tavares was – actually, he was a pretty good player, though. I, I When he was in Minnesota, he gave us fits sometimes. You guys were playing against Minnesota last night on television. Who was that? Well, when was it? When Favre. Favre. Yeah. Played oh, they played uh, – yeah, when we went there and got blasted by Favre. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. How'd you do? Did you do okay or Brett Favre slicing dice? I don't, I don't think I played a whole lot. Why? What's going on? Did you piss off a coach? Know. Did you get a concussion? No. no concussion. I was I was dressed. I think I was like going in on certain packages. I don't know. I'm oh. not sure how it went. How's that work? You're an all-time leading tackler for the Packers. They're going to keep that on the sideline and get blasted by a 50-year-old man? They deserve to lose. No wonder they lost. Mm-hmm. Brett was on fire that first year. He beat us twice his first time he was in Minnesota against us. Well, he had quite a grudge, I if I do recall. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a smooth exit. From the Packers organization, I, I think that was uh, one. Hey, did you ever go there to Minnesota and play uh, against them when Adrian had a big game? No, but I, I did play against them in the new stadium when Adrian came back early from another injury. Does that make sense? Oh, okay, he was the captain. Like, 
I haven't been in their new stadium. I know it's awesome, but that old dome we played in, when Adrian would get going, man, it was so difficult to stop that dude. Yeah, you got it. The whole place does that, right? They do. I'm sorry. I don't know if you were on rhythm on the the right beat with the rest of the crowd there. Well, I needed them around me because they got that big. Hey, what do you think of Brock Lesnar as a football player? Uh, anything Brock Lesnar does is good, is what I think. I would never be caught on record saying anything <laughs> negative about that guy. He's our alpha male. When the aliens come down and want to fight us, we should send Brock Lesnar at him and say, this is our best. <laughs> That's honestly how I feel. Maybe you and Brock Lesnar is probably how I feel like we should go. No, nah, I can't be put in that category. I mean, Brock is a scary individual. I just saw some clips of him during his time in Minnesota in the preseason would they, they show some clips online I, I watched. It looked like he didn't have great leverage, which was a bit surprising because he was a wrestler and known for leverage. But that's one of those things where elite athletes, whenever they get dropped into the NFL game, I mean, that's a very difficult transition to make. You don't really see that kind of happen on a regular basis just because of the little subtleties of things that you have to know or you're going to get wiped out. It's those little subtleties like you talked about. Like I think I mentioned to you the the one game I played punt return. I felt like the guys were playing tricks up. They were playing games laughing at me as I think I'm running scot-free bam I get picked off from a dude like they were just they were playing games with me and that's probably a little bit if you're you haven't played high or you haven't played football since high school you get thrown into the NFL all of a sudden you're like geez okay like I gotta find a way to get back into it I don't even know how to use my hands anymore it would be really weird you, you know the old hip pull that thing was awesome yeah special teamers used to use the hip pull all the time I even put it in one I even got it in one game just explain what it is so you're running with somebody, you're running, you're running, you're running, and then as soon as you want to make a move and you realize you're in a spot where refs probably won't see you, you take both of your hands on the hips and then you just kind of pull them back. It's like a slingshot. It's slingshot. Like a slingshot. Yeah, you can do it with one arm to slingshot your way around like the front of a guy too. Yeah, it's to stack them. Everything in, the, in NFL and football is about stacking somebody. It's about getting wide receivers are told to stack the corner. Special teamers are told to stack the person that's supposed to block them because the only way they can get them is a push in the back at that particular point. And a great way to get stacked or get stacked on somebody is the old slingshot double hip move. But you can't have your entire team doing it at the same time. Brant Boyer, who's now the special teams coordinator for the New York Jets, played special teams for the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Browns for like 11, 13 years. I forget what it was. 11, 12, or 13 years. And that was back whenever, you know, you were just running your face into a double wedge. So this guy, legend of a man. Like, he was back and he, just a special teamer. Studied. And he started, he was the assistant special teams coach for a team. And he started teaching the boys, you know, like these little tricks. He's like, oh, here's a little trick. All right, here you go. Just do this. And our entire punt return team in this one play, literally every single person that was on punt return other than the returner grabbed the person's hips and threw them back. And the flags that flew, <laughs> every single ref threw a flag on the field or whatever. So we had to go back to the film. And Tom McMahon was like, boys, like, it's a good fucking move, but everybody can't do it on the same play. And Brent's like, that's on me, Mitch. Like, I apologize or whatever. So uh, those little things are such little game changers that even the elite athletes can't handle if they're not used to it. Just because it's something you got to be taught and you got to learn. It's not something you could just be dropped in the middle of and pick up, I don't think. You got to do it in a game. You got to do it in games multiple times to actually be able to execute it. Saw like six dudes at the same time. It was awesome. It, it looked like everybody was doing it like in 
choreography basically it was beautiful they take anyone down too Did anyone go down or no? there's a couple guys that they know it's coming you can get the other veteran special teamers by the way though as soon as they feel the hip grab they go their hands up right so mm. then refs see it so it's like uh there's a lot of gamesmanship happening between those guys that make a living only on fourth downs i mean there's there's only so many paychecks and every tackle cuts um before we get to bill belichick something we love doing is we like diving deep into the most beautiful part of the internet, the YouTube comment section, and do some YouTube. I can't say it. It's offsides. It wasn't offsides, false start. YouTube questions. I was looking for you, AJ, to say questions there, because you know, co-host. I'm not taking, that's, that's Zito's gig. No, no, no. Zito's after the graphic hits. Oh, my bad. I can't see anything from here, so I don't know what graphics. I don't know anything. I just see you. You can hear it, though. Yeah, but I was le- I actually pointed at you. Yeah, you do that a lot. Every once in a while, we like to dive deep into YouTube comments. Questions. <laughs> YouTube questions. Zito. All right, uh, there wasn't a lot of questions, but this one popped up. Who would win between Pat's 2005 West Virginia team, uh, Sugar Bowl champs, or AJ's 2005 Ohio State team, Fiesta Bowl champs? Was that your na- – did you guys win a national championship? That- was that national championship? No, 02 was national championship my freshman year. Our 05 team kind of surprised everybody. I don't think – that was before the uh, zone read was what everybody was doing. So we were able to do that at a very high level because Steve Slayton got his uh, scholarship pulled from Maryland like a week before signing day. So he was running his ass off and was faster than everybody. And Pat White was just electric every single time he touched the rock. Our team was a great team then. A couple years later, whenever we had a chance to go to the Natty and then we lost to Pitt and a couple of missed kicks in the first quarter, people say is the reason why. That team was potentially the best team I'd ever been on other than that night, obviously. But I think our 05 team was a pretty good squad. But it's just two very different styles of football between the Big Ten and what we were running over there in West Virginia, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Steve Slayton and Pat White. You, you couldn't stop those dudes. And it was real early on in the zone read thing, so no one knows the responsibilities. It would yeah. have definitely been a test. I don't know. I, it's hard to compare, like, teams against teams or era against this era. Like, it's like someone wants to say, oh, who's going to win a, a Lakers team in their prime with, uh, with when LeBron's there or Jordan in the 94 Bulls? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. if He might have been retired in 94, but Bulls you- in their prime. You think the Bulls would have won? Yeah, yeah I take the Bulls during that run over anybody pretty much. Oh, yeah. What? Wow. I know it's a different game now, and everybody shoots threes, and everybody drains threes, and they didn't do that nearly as much back when Jordan was rolling. But you know what? Actually, I don't know. I don't care who would win because it's never going to happen. <laughs> well, that's we got you to answer, though, immediately after saying yeah, you don't I fall care. Into, I don't know why I fall into these hypotheticals. No. <laughs> That professional host here. That's uh, that's literally you're what right. my job you're is. Right. To do. You're like you're like Howard Stern. You get people to say things they normally wouldn't say or do. Hey, high praise, high praise. That feels very good to say. I want to let you know that made me feel very, very good right there. Almost blushed. They said the thing that would kill us. <laughs> the zone read is speed. Speed killed us. We'd always struggle with South Florida because they had a bunch of speed. They'd be able to penetrate or be able to get the edge. I, did your was your Ohio State team a fast team? Yeah, I mean, we had that, that year. It was my senior year. We had some studs. Those the three linebackers that were pictured on your box Bob that Carpenter. you brought in today. But we had stud D Lyman, Dante Whitner was safety behind. Oh. He was the ninth overall pick that year. Nate Sally safety. 
We had stud corners. Yeah, we had some players. I think Bobby Carpenter would have had a big game. Maybe the pies on. No, Bobby. That Bobby been great for that game to to slow play the read at times on the edge, but he has the speed and the length to to try to force some some bad decisions out of the quarterback and running back like their little mesh. So yeah, it would be a it would have been a fun matchup. All over the box is low fat food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just. Stay fit. It's how do we lie to people? <laughs> this is low fat. You want to stop being fat? Eat this one. Go Bucks. You're right. telling me if I eat that, I could become like AJ Hawk. Did you get any percentage of those? I got paid. Yeah. Oh. When? That was part of the deal. Like when you get done in Ohio State after your senior year, you can go sign autographs for the next four or five months around the state, and that's one of the that's part of the marketing situation. That's a good thing about being at Ohio State. The Ohio State is that type of stuff. You know, those thousand dollar handshakes, those autographs immediately afterwards, the free education. That I mean, there's you- no thousand dollar handshakes for for me at least while I was still playing. But the second that the Fiesta Bowl was over my senior year, I was eligible to go do what you want and make money. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It is. Like, as soon as that game's over, I'm going back to the team hotel that the school paid for right before that. But if a guy wants to give me $10,000 at the bar, I can be like, you're damn right, and I can buy those drinks for all my teammates. But right before that game kicked off, I couldn't even look at that guy or our entire team would potentially lose the bowl championship that we were at. Wild yeah. world that the NCAA is created. Or like, in the parent, like, a lot of times, too, people sign with an agent right after the last game, their senior year or whatever. So let's say the agent wants to has a runner has been given gifts or whatever wants to give some gifts if if it's halftime of that game and he's like oh hey by the way hands the keys to a new car to these parents or something like this is just a little extra something for you guys that's highly illegal we'll get everybody in trouble probably strip the school of everything but if he waits. 30 more minutes until the clock runs out and hands him the keys. It's fine. Here's a Lambo. <laughs> I wanted to give it to you before the game, but Mark Emmert, you know, I can't fucking tell. <laughs> Did you have agents coming to your house trying to recruit you? No, not coming to my Like my college house? Yeah. No. Did they go to the facility? Like what, what, how did it work? No. no. Agents weren't allowed in the facility. Are you kidding me? Huh. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I, my I, mean, one- I don't know how each I, – I, I would imagine most colleges don't let agents and runners into their facility. I didn't know. Why not? I don't know. I mean, unless you're the head coach's agent. But how did you find the agent you were going to go with? He didn't go to your house. What you guys meet at like a Cheddar's or something? I got lucky. My dad (laughs) pistol kind of talked because I didn't want to do it. So pistol kind of talked to different people and then narrowed it down. And then I made the decision. Pistol plays no game. Yeah, he 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 got to go meet with him and sit in those long meetings that I would never take part in. And he's he knew me well, and he's like, hey, I'll. I'll go. T- I'll, I'll I'll kind of do some research and narrow it down to who I think you'd be a good fit with. Are you still with that agent today? Yeah, Mike McCartney wow. out of Chicago. Pistol did a great job. Pistol, Pistol did a great job. Yeah, he knew he knew me well. I think he knew my personality and what I would like, and yeah, it was cool. It, it worked out well for me. My one roommate was uh, a lot of guys were were trying to sign him or whatever, uh, agent wise. So they were coming to our house actually to recruit him. Like we had an. I remember this agent sitting in our living room because we were getting blacked out in the kitchen and there was a wall that was kind of separating the two, right? And we're in the kitchen. You're playing full cup, flip cup or something along those lines. I have my uh, sombrero on. I mean, I'm wearing sleeveless. I mean, we're having a good time in there. And I have a pitcher of beer and he's in there doing his whole shtick, you know? And we're trying to keep it down as quiet as possible. Uh, But they get to the Wonderlick time and my, my roommate was a very smart very smart person. And this guy had a list of the Wonderlick scores somehow. This guy this guy had a list of the Wonderlick scores. And uh, he goes, uh, do you have my roommate's scores or whatever? 
And I, he goes, Pat, come on. You want to know your Wonderlook score? I'm like, absolutely. I walk out there with a, a pitcher of beer in my hand, a sombrero, a sleeveless shirt or whatever. Uh, I think I had long baggy khaki, not yeah, baggy khaki cargo shorts on, nice. maybe some flippy floppies. Probably just hit maybe a four-foot water bong. I mean, I was on next level, and this guy's like, oh, yeah, you got a uh, 37 or something like that. I was like, is that good? And he was like, yeah, and it was better than the guy that he was talking to or whatever, my roommate, right? So I was like, what did you get? And he's like, uh, 35 or something like that. I was like, ooh! <laughs> and I chugged that thing and go back into the kitchen. And they talked for another 30 minutes. And all we did is we were just imagining how pissed off our smart friend was out there that there was no chance that agent was signing with him because he said that I was smarter than him. So that agent was just wasting his time. And by the time the guy left, we are blacked out. And Rita found out he was now the dumbest one in the house. It was a good day. It was a great day. For Wait, me. when did you take the Wonderland? We took it our junior year. Really? Yeah, so it was uh, our junior year was the first time they'd ever done uh, at Pro Day. We got our height, our weight. We had never done this before. It was because Pat. It was because Pat White was in our class. So Pro Day for the seniors, we were juniors. You come in, height, weight. I had no idea. I was rather hungover, actually. And we go in. And they're like, all right, juniors, we're going to height and weight you. And then you're going to take the Wonderlick test and all this other stuff if you don't have any classes or whatever. So I did height, weight, and then I had a class. And the academic people were like, if you have a class, you can't take the Wonderlick now. you got to go to your class. I was like, I'm not going to my class. They're like, oh, you have to. You can't take the Wonderlick. Like, what do you think the NFL is going to think of? Well, tell them I'm going to make a lot more money with them than I am with anything in this class. So I'm going to take this Wonderlick. So we sat down, took the Wonderlick, and then it was a couple months later whenever they were trying to recruit my friend or whatever. It was a very interesting process, though. That was very weird. By the way, no agents wanted to sign me. I wonder why. I really wonder why. I couldn't even fathom why. It was a very wild time to be alive back then. You guys didn't do the junior pro day thing? No. I mean, I would go and watch pro day for all my teammates, but I didn't do anything there. Like when I was just a junior, no, I just went and watched. Did you? You didn't run. You didn't do any of that. My senior year, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did everything at the combine, and then I redid my 40 and did all the linebacker drills at our pro day a couple weeks later. What did you run? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think I ran low four or five at the combine. Then four four something. What? Quick. That Ooh. is quick. Kidding me? <laughs> Super fast. Is that what you thought you were going to run? I thought I was going to be faster at the combine, but uh, you thought you were going to run four four. I was hoping to. Did you had, have you had ever run a four four in training or anything? Yeah, I mean, yeah, working. I did it my pro day. I ran four four something. Whoa! But it doesn't. It's like it, it doesn't matter if it's at your pro day. And it's not the combine. I go, oh, you guys are running thirty eight yards downhill. Like, okay, maybe. I don't know. Well, Hopefully, the coaches four, don't know that four. if that's the case. You want number five overall? I mean, that's pretty pretty good, my friend. Yeah, I wonder how long they're going to continue to do the two twenty five bench bench max at the combine. How many did you do for that? I only got like twenty four. I'm not a like, huge like bench. Jeez, that's nothing. You sound like a top six pick. <laughs> is that water you drink out of that white can? Yeah, yeah. Liquid death is what it's called. Ice cold. Ice cold. <laughs> Ice cold. It's like, it tastes like um, Rust Belt. You'll know what this is. You know when you used to drink out of the hose in the summer? Still do, yeah. Yeah. This is what it tastes oh, like. Oh, you'd love it. And it's ice cold. It is so good. This is, this is not, they have not paid us to say this. This is the best <laughs> water I've ever had in my entire life. It's kind of frustrating because you can't close it, but it is so cold because it's in the can. I mean, it th it's like um, 
You know how you, used to, you could take a beer can and you put it into like a bowl with ice in it and you like shake it for like 15 seconds, it gets you cold. Twirl it. You, got, you twirl it, yeah. Yeah, that's what happens with like this. For instance, if you get a, a 24 pack of water bottles and you put them in the fridge, for instance, it's going to take those a couple hours to get cold. This thing, you put them in the refrigerator, 15 minutes later, you got, you got something sting in your mouth and that's what liquid death is. I think it's an aggressive name, obviously. And it's, uh, it's obviously looks like you're just house and pounders, but it is the coldest water I've ever had in my entire life. Couldn't shotgun it if I tried. Yeah, well, maybe they can... Uh come up with a few billion dollars and take over Gatorade and you know instead of Gatorade coolers on the sidelines we'll have like squirt bottles liquid, that look like that liquid death what are the guys what are they all reaching for at halftime oh they're, they're grabbing liquid death <laughs> you should have heard their ads we had to read their ads too what the fuck is that shit.com that was the website what the fuck is this shit.com who started this company? This guy's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's, he's a legend. <laughs> it's a guy from Netflix. I yeah, think. I think he's one of the co-founders of Netflix. He wanted his own water, so he went up to... Uh, Swiss Alps. The Swiss Alps, yeah. And it's basically the entire idea is liquid death, spring water, murder your thirst. That's the tagline. <laughs> it's a little aggressive, it, but he's got... Is there any way to actually prove that he goes to the Swiss Alps and gets this water? <laughs> Uh, this one is actually from the Canadian Rockies, so it turns out they've already stopped international flights. This one's from Canada, so uh, it is very good. I mean, it is very, very good. I like that hose water, though. It reminds me of a kid running around, going back to the house, you know, putting a thumb in there, draining it down. Well, that was before they had bottled water. Like, there wasn't bottled water when I was a kid. Yeah, me neither. Used to drink out of the toilet. <laughs> Man, I can't say that, but yeah. Well, I'm Rust Belt. You're not. Yeah, you're right. Did you drink out of it after you had the, the blue tablet in the back of the tank so your water was blue and bleached? Uh, I, I, anytime I went to somebody's house and they had that blue thing, I was like, these these parents care about I still have that. I, I still buy those on Amazon all the time and put them in multiple toilets. Well, it makes your house look much cooler when you got the blue water and it looks like you actually care. You know what I mean? Yeah. The big upgrade for the house was um, at one point, we had a very small bathroom. I mean, the bathroom was tiny. And my mom... She liked that like sauna shower. Have you ever seen those showers where it's like a, it's it's like a stand up shower, but they got it's an entire setup. It's like a steam room in there. It's like a sauna and everything like that. Have you ever seen this before? I don't know about a sauna. I know there's steam showers. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's this incredible thing. I don't know. My mom was hooked on it. She put it in the house. So like the toilet kind of got like the room because the toilet's set already. So the shower was small, and then this thing comes in there. That was the biggest upgrade we ever got in our house. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm surprised I don't have one in my house now. I used to just sit in there for 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> it was awesome. It was legendary. It come with a chair, like a place to sit, like yeah, a bench? There's like a little bench, yeah. So, so old Tim McAfee had to Zito production that thing into the bathroom. <laughs> it was incredible. It was I forget the name of it. And my brother right now is sitting back there like, oh, I remember when that fucking thing came in. <laughs> there was no room in the bathroom because this thing was in there. And that's the only thing I remember of an upgrade at the bathroom. But I think just a couple of those blue things in the toilet would have done the trick, too, and make it look like it was a little bit nicer spot. Yeah, you can still get them. I'll send. Maybe I'll send you a couple. Don't. Not right now. I don't need you sending me the COVID. Well, that's one thing. Saunas, infrared saunas are really big right now. You can go buy them and put a little two two person sauna in your house somewhere. I have one at the house. My mom got me one. You like it? Uh, yeah, I use it. I don't use it as much as I should, but I do enjoy it. I like a good infrared. That's Joe Rogan's big thing. Cook from yeah, the people. Inside. Yeah, people claim it helps with the COVID, which I think the science is still out on that. You're saying no, sounded like. Huh. I'm saying I don't, no one knows, but people claim that. I don't claim to know one way or the other. 
You think Jesus came out of that cave or not? I don't know. Sounds like it. <laughs> Why? What do you think? <laughs> uh, Bill Belichick talked uh, in a press conference. He had that. Uh, I do think. I think he did. I think he yeah, came out. I mean, really. this is a lot. We've made a lot out of it, so I'd assume it did happen. I mean, a lot has happened. Reese's has made an entire career off of him potentially coming out of there, let alone bunnies, the amount of stock that went up in bunnies as soon as he came out of there. I mean, I think that he came out of the cave. I think it took him a little- Best-selling book of all time. The greatest book of all time. The most person- So you're saying saying that the story of Jesus- has been hijacked by Big Chocolate just strictly for Easter? Not just Big Chocolate, Big Bunny, too. I mean, rabbits weren't worth a damn other than fucking... So Big quick. Easter, just all Easter, and Chocolate and Bunnies are, have taken over. They're, they've hijacked... Uh, oh, and don't even let me get into the big, fat, bearded man doing with yep. his birthday. I mean, mm-hmm. don't even let me... They took advantage. Scott Calvin took advantage. Yeah, I mean, some people may argue that Santa Claus and Christmas is a little different than Jesus Christ. Whoa. Who? Who are they? Atheists? I don't Coca Cola, maybe. I don't know. But I'm oh, just saying. Oh, don't even bring those bears into yeah, it. Yeah, those commercials are awesome. Don't even bring those bears into it. I won't. Smart. A shovel face. <laughs> so stupid. Belichick, so had a, Belichick had a press conference talking about Tom Brady. Pretty intriguing stuff. He went on to say that um, uh, <laughs> Castle would be a good example. We geared everything toward what would be best for him. Just like we always geared everything toward what was best for Tom to help our offense there. So I don't really see that changing with whatever quarterback we have. And then he was asked about Tom Brady on numerous occasions because we're only about a week and a half into this new Tom Brady era. And Bill Belichick handled it in the most Bill Belichick fashion, and he can't help but respect it. It would be, of course, impossible to sum up everything Tom did in 20 years into, into a comment. I meant everything I said about him, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about him for years and, and decades to come. Just curious if you guys had a desire – to bring Tom back the coming season. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, a lot of water under the bridge. It didn't surprise you at all, him leaving? Again, I think we've covered all that. Again, I think we're way past that, pal. <laughs> Honestly, I think we're way past that. Belichick did not want to hear it from that guy. He said we're past it. He knows that he's going to be asked about this anytime he talks to anybody for the next few months until the season starts. So he wanted to put an end to that conversation. We're past it, water under bridge. Let's move on. I can't say enough about how good Tom was, which I respect, by the way, because he doesn't want to get into this game of answering everybody's question about Tom Brady. Even though it is only a week old, Belichick is already done with it, which I respect. Now let's get to the pivot point of him talking about how when Matt Castle was in, we geared everything towards Matt Castle, and we had a lot of success with him. And then you think about what he did with Jimmy G and Jacoby Brissett. They won 3-1. and one. Bill Belichick, for good reason, has a lot of confidence that no matter who they have at quarterback, they can build a plan around that to have success now will it be Stidham will they trade up and get another quarterback I'm not sure but it feels as if Bill Belichick is very confident going into next year yeah he should be I mean I think he's saying all the right things that you'd expect a coach to say but I don't think comparing this situation with Stidham coming in if he is your next starter to Matt Castle just a little different like Castle walked into a great situation they they were coming off the 2008 season they were undefeated in the regular season great football team all over the place Castle steps in 
He has Wes Welker to throw to, Randy Moss, oh. who's unbelievable still at the time. Their O-line was legit, and I saw where they were the, the uh, sixth-ranked rushing offense that year in the NFL. So that, obviously, going back to what we were speaking of earlier with other quarterbacks, that helps your offense a lot and helps your team. Right now, I mean, they, they just need they need uh, Harry, their first-round pick from last year. I know he was banged up for the, the, the first half of the season. They need him to be the stud he was <clears throat> Excuse me, at Arizona State. They need Edelman to keep playing at the high level he is. They need to find a tight end. They have plenty of running backs that they can use in various different ways, but I think it's just stacked up uh, against Stidham a little more than it was Matt Castle back in the day. That is so interesting. I completely forgot that he had Randy Moss on that team. And what Randy Moss does is automatically take a safety and a corner out of whatever box that you need to have it out of. I mean, that is just a game changer. A little Wes Welker. Now, Julian Edelman, great football player. And I would say Julian Edelman probably going to have a better career than Wes Welker whenever sure. it's all said and done. So I think that is a great comp there. But you're 100% right. And Matt Castle, I think, had been around Tom Brady for a year. Not that Stidham hasn't. And I assume Brady was potentially around the building whenever that was happening because he could probably help out a little bit. Stidham's going to be out there all by himself with Hoyer, who's playing for free. Uh, those are some very valid points that I have not thought of, to be honest. I just assume Bill Belichick can make any quarterback good. McDaniels can make anybody good. And that was kind of what he was saying. But once you start diving a little bit deeper into the annals of the stats and facts of the whole thing, it seems like there's a much different situation happening now than there was back then. Yeah, there is. And I think he will have success. That's one thing McDaniels does so well. And uh, Bill Belichick on the defensive side, like they take what talent they have and they're going to do whatever these guys do best. You're not going to ask them to do things that they can't do. So, yeah, they'll build a great plan around Stidham if he is their guy. But and I think they will have success. But my question is, like, what is success for the Patriots? You can't have the same expectations you had with Tom Brady and everybody else as you do with Jared Stidham. Dale Gribble here in the comments section says, I'm tired of hearing about the Patriots. Jesus Christ. <laughs> So is yeah. that is the Patriots Jesus Christ Bill Belichick because he saved them or Tom Brady? Mm. Oh. Great question, Dale. You know we'll the good thing he that. has though, Pat. Before we get to the next one, the AFC East though, like they're not. Is anyone getting much better in the AFC East? Bills got Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I mean they're they're a solid team. I still have a hard time. Dolphins got Kyle Van Noy and a corner. And, and nobody Landon Roberts, yeah, they're bringing some Patriots guys in. And they got the number five pick. And it is alleged that they were trying to lose last year. And Beeflo and Fitzpatrick said, uh-uh, we're going to win games regardless. I think the AFC East is getting better, aside from the Jets, whatever the Jets are doing. But I think the Bills and Dolphins are getting much better. And they, those two teams might have been just buried for the last 20 years because of a giant that was in their division. Maybe they'll be able to make some real plays this year. <laughs> they absolutely were buried because Tom Brady was in their division. So it was always tough to to figure that out. But I don't know. I just can't I can't say the Patriots are done. And I don't know how Boston Connor feels if he's off the bandwagon or he's he's still on there. I, I still feel like even no matter who the quarterback is for the Patriots, I still have to pick them to win the AFC East at least right now. I have um I mean, I'm on the bad bandwagon, but I mean you guys is anybody beating the Chiefs? Like let's be real. Is anybody in the AFC beating the Chiefs. That'll be interesting because I played as Lamar Jackson yesterday in Madden and uh, he's really good at football. I mean, that guy. How'd that go? Yes, yeah, sandbagged. Did it happen? I got sandbagged. What do you mean? I got lied to. Who'd you play? A little Bow Wow or something? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's just Bow Wow now, please. He's no longer Will, okay? Um, Apologies. Basketball is my favorite sport. I, I like, like the way they, they dribble, dribble up and down, down the court. court. I keep it so... I didn't know the next line. Oh, yeah, that yeah. sleeve header. Right He's got a good sleeve on his head. He knows all the words. AJ, what do you think of that human? 
<laughs> What's that shirt, Connor? I like this one. It's my Elon Musk shirt, brother. <laughs> Where did you get that? Uh, I can't tell you. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I like look you look, look great. You, you trimmed your facial hair a little bit. You look a little less like a terrorist and more like a White guy that rides a Harley. Yeah, I just mm. thought, uh, what does Pistol Hawk look like in my mind? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I came up with. Pistol dreams of growing chops like that. <laughs> What were we talking about before that? Uh, the uh, AFC Chiefs. East and the Chiefs. Oh, I was supposed to play a couple different people, and I landed on playing against a gamer. So you tell me how you thought it went. So did 2 Chains not show up, or he just didn't play against you? 2 Chains said, oh, Drew. <laughs> bounced out, I guess. I guess Is this not. why they you weren't allowed to really talk about it a whole <laughs> lot? Because they didn't have confirmation from everybody? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not 100% sure they're ever going to put it out. But I'll tell you what. I put on a performance out there. As Wait, no, it didn't go live? I thought it was Twitch live. No, they recorded They recorded it because I think they were worried that some people still wouldn't show up. So I think they're trying <laughs> to figure out how it'll go. I enjoyed it, but I got sandbagged. I mean, I got completely sandbagged. And uh, it was evident. It was what evident. was the final score? I mean, let's not get into the stats at all. 26-14. It was close. <laughs> it was close. That's pretty good. Dude, it was not. It was not. I mean, it was bad. I am so bad at video games. And uh, that's going to be evident if this ever makes the air. Rush for over 100 with Lamar Jackson. Though. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? Scored a touchdown on my first play. Ever Ooh. heard of it? Ever Wait, heard what, of it? What team was this gamer? The Patriots. And who was he? Is he a famous gamer that I should know? Oh, pretty sexist out of you. Just saying yeah. he all of a sudden. He or she? It was a she. And she was a sandbagger. <laughs> Why was there? Was this like a handicap thing where you told him like, "Hey, I don't really play. I can't be playing one of your top players." No, I, the only reason why I said yes is because I thought I was playing against Lil Yachty, and then Lil Yachty got pulled, and they were like, "You're playing against two chains." And I'm like, "Fucking right, I'll play in a video game contest thing against two chains." Here we go. And then minutes before, I was like, "Nope, you're out playing against a, a stud gamer." All of a sudden, and it's not two chains. But I will let it be known. I never met the person that I was playing against. Great conversation during the game. I think people will enjoy watching it. But boy, the legacy of me being the worst video game player of all time is still intact. Very much so. Very. Yeah, I mean, very it's going to stay that way too, unless like you just got to play. It's like anything else. You need reps, and you don't have any reps. Nah, I ain't got time. I don't know how anybody plays this shit. I don't know how anybody plays it. It's I, too hard. It's too hard now, man. Everyone else is too good. They're so good. I, I'm like 32 years behind everybody else, you know, because when you're a baby, you can learn new languages better. You can learn everything new, better, and they can learn how to control their bodies with their thumbs. I, I can't do it. I just, these things, these two, these are probably the Italian pieces of my body, 0.09%. <laughs> these two are the worst things I have right here. I just Whoa. can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, you guys tried to claim my foot. Yeah. When I did the 23andMe, I had 0.09% Italian. The Italians of the room, DeGilio and Moraldo, were like, oh, it's probably that foot of yours. That's probably the 0.09%. It's just the Italians tried to take that. I think it's these thumbs. These thumbs are terrible at controlling things. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, I'm the same way. That's why I stopped once everyone got so good. When I was in college, I tried a few times. I'm like, all right, this is stupid. Everyone's <laughs> unbelievable. They're all at an all-pro level, whatever game you're playing. Bro, too. and they love it, too. It's like, I am so bored right now. How are we still playing this? Well, you don't want to wear headphones and play online against little kids that throw, like, racial slurs your way? Well, speaking of, dude was fired. Did you hear about this? Gone. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised the NASCAR guy. Yeah. I don't want to say his name because I don't want to bury it, but Kyle Larson fired. <laughs> <laughs> I had NASCAR yeah. people coming after me, by the way. 
For what? Well, because I, t- I said it's just a word you can't use if you're a Caucasian person. They're like, well, he's Japanese. He didn't say anything wrong. Get off your damn high horse, McAfee. Yeah, the one guy came after me and said, it's funny, you get a DUI and you comment on somebody else saying the N-word. It's like, whoa, I don't know how those, <laughs> I don't know how those two tied together, and I didn't get a DUI, but yeah. even if I did, I don't. I still don't know how those two correlate with each other, saying the worst word to ever exist. You get it. Yeah. He puts you in the same categories that like you... First off, you didn't get a DUI. You get in, you get into a little bit of trouble. I was just walking, and he's going to compa- put you and lump you in the same category as a guy that just so comfortably uses the the worst racial slur he can use. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Larson, that apology. I appreciate that he took you know took the moment from his heart and that whole thing. Boy, it's going to be an uphill battle for that guy. I mean, it's going to be an up. It's going to be an uphill. Does battle. the apology even matter there? Like, no. If he didn't put one out, do you think people would be like? Come on, man. Like you got to put an apology out and put this thing behind you. <laughs> I think there's probably a thought from his team like, hey, you got to go out and own this thing and apologize, you know? And then his apology, everybody looked at it. was like, not good enough. Get out of here. Can't do it. They- hey, what do you think about the PA and the league coming together and coming up with these virtual off-season programs they're going to do? And, like, each team is required to, to – I don't know this. Pay to put workout equipment in their players' houses wherever they are up to fifteen hundred dollars or reimburse them fifteen hundred dollars for workout stuff. That's funny because I bought some stuff from my house a couple years ago when I was still playing for the Colts. I can just send that bill right now to the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Mersey. Yeah, you might as well. They don't have anything else going on. They'll send it. They'll, they'll send you the cash. Okay, so so <laughs> so Dak, uh, Dak Prescott said he's yep. not doing this, right? Mm. Dak Prescott said I'm not doing any of it. This is so interesting. The Dak, Dak Prescott heel turn from a business standpoint is maybe my favorite. Nice to see you not using a torch today. The, the turn from him being this guy, loves being a quarterback, has been grossly underpaid, has performed well being America's team's quarterback and all that stuff, everything. Then he hires these agents that I guess are known for getting the most amount of money possible for their clients. And now all of a sudden, it's just like, yo, everything's a fight. And by the way, I respect it. I respect that Dak Prescott's like, give me my money or I'm doing nothing. I, I very much respect that. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't. I've said this numerous times. I could not have looked at that franchise tag and said, $33.9 million in the next eight months of my life I'm going to get and say no to it. But Dak is holding off, and I assume it's going to pay off for him at some point. But I love that this this entire like not nah, not doing any of it until you motherfuckers pay me not doing any of it well i mean he 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 looks around and he sees all of these guys in his team getting paid before him he's like all right well pretty soon there's not gonna be enough money left for me True. and it got me thinking just now as we were talking about it what if something crazy happened and like dak gets traded during the draft and then they draft a guy that they really want that they think is going to be a no-brainer to be the next franchise dude wow well i've been saying for a long time long long time before anybody else, I'll say. Dak to the Patriots. The Patriots jump up and trade for Dak on the, during the draft. They don't have anywhere near enough money to pay him. But yeah, <laughs> I've been saying for a long time, rookie contract quarterbacks with the team being built up around them is the new blueprint to success in the NFL. You saw it with Russell Wilson when he had the Legion of Boom. You saw it with the Rams whenever Jared Goff was on his rookie contract. The only debunking theory to this is obviously the Patriots who debunk every theory, but even then, they weren't paying Tom Brady top dollar like they thought it. Every time a quarterback hits that second contract and eats up 20, 23% of the salary cap, those teams go on to be garbage in most states. Now, if you're paying a guy that can carry a team and win by himself, you have to pay it. And if you don't think Dak Prescott's that guy, I would 
would say if you're the Dallas Cowboys and you don't think Dak Prescott's that guy, you can't pay him this contract and put your entire team at leverage. Now, I, just like most of the world, believe Dak Prescott has proved that he can be a guy that can win games with his arm, and he's a franchise player that you keep around for a long time. Obviously, the Cowboys don't see it the same way, or they would have already agreed to terms with him. But if they did get a younger quarterback that was cheaper and they could spend all this money around him, you can keep the Amari Coopers for $100 million. You can keep the Zeke Elliott's for $90 million. You can build up that offensive line. You can pay every defender, and you just bring in a rookie plug-and-place quarterback. I mean, that seems to be a blueprint that has had success for some people in the past. Will it be in the future? I'm not 100% sure. But if they were sold on Dak Prescott being their quarterback, they would have already got this deal done. I, I am very – I'm certain of that. They overpaid Amari Cooper in everybody's eyes. They overpaid Zeke in everybody's eyes. They've overpaid all these people, and now they're just like, no, we're not going to do it to Dak. It's like, well, why not? It doesn't make any sense to anybody outside of the Dallas Cowboys organization, including myself. Like, yo, just pay the guy. Get this thing done with. It, the only thing that I can think is holding it up. Like, and we know Jerry loves to pay his guys, and Dak seems to be one of Jerry's guys that he loves. Like, is Dak asking for way above market value? Or is, he, is he asking for something that they just feel is, is astronomical compared to what they want? And they want him to sign. Maybe they're trying to pressure him into signing like a, a team friendly deal to where it's a big, it looks like a big old chunk of money. But it's spread out a little bit, and after two years, the team can kind of make a decision and let him go if they don't want him. It's alleged that he wants a four-year deal. They want a five-year deal. That's been the only real open um, contemplation that everybody's having is Dak wants a shorter contract. They want him to have a longer contract. That's everybody, though. That's especially quarterbacks. Like every, everybody. They want shorter deals. The team wants to spread out your your the hit over many years and, and give him options, too. So he, And Dak wants to get to another contract. That's why he wants to sign a four-year deal play well oh here we go let's get my third deal i'm on uh, by the way i think they should have just paid the damn guy already should have just paid the guy just they pay- should have paid him like three or four players ago don't you think yes just get it over with because now the only just like bill belichick ended the tom brady conversation the only thing that's going to be talked about for the dallas cowboys is dak prescott wait until they make a draft pick and jerry jones gets interviewed from his house wherever the hell he is maybe he's on the shitter the only thing they're going to ask him about is how is the dak prescott thing going how's the dak prescott thing going just like all last year and he's going to say the same thing uh, my hands don't get cramps when i'm writing checks and i just want to win some games okay and donate to the salvation army <laughs> You think Jerry's going to say, well, you know what? We really need to get Dak in here because he's missing these valuable virtual online OTAs and individual sessions that we are having where – like I'm, I'm curious that the virtual class is going to be amazing because some teams, some teams are going to have take it way too serious. And they're going to be like, okay, guys, same schedule like you're, like you're in the facility. 8 a.m. special teams meeting, 8.30 defensive <laughs> meeting. You guys split up, and that's going to be the D coordinator, and then you're going to have like a Zoom room with – 48 players like coach i got a question like how's that gonna work there's no way it's gonna have to be pre-recorded things i would imagine they send with documents that they could try to learn their installs or whatever they're doing imagine setting up like all right 7 30 a.m special teams then you will all be forced to go work out but keep your cameras on you so we can watch you while you work out in the zoom strength coach will lead you through a conditioning and a warm-up in the entire thing then you guys get lunch take the zooms into your uh into your kitchen so we see what you're eating then take that into your um into your position group meeting then you'll have a defensive meeting and then we'll call it a day around three o'clock an entire day of work at your house while they're just watching you on zoom i love it i absolutely love it it will be amazing to see, but what's going to happen, Pat? Anybody that has played at all, it's any kind of vet, if he realizes, like, 
All right, this is garbage. I'm not learning anything here. He's going to be like, what? what? Oh, cutting out. I got it. Hold on. My Wi-Fi. And he's just going to cut it off and say, I'm trying to reconnect, man. I don't know. And then he's out in the golf course. I have a... Oh, I'm gonna have to reconnect. Go, let me. Uh, I'll get back. I gotta unplug. I gotta reboot my router. Oh Hold my on, god! I didn't charge it last night. <laughs> Jeez, I'm so sorry. Then you got those rookies just being forced and being held hostage in there for their entire livelihood. You won't make the NFL. You're gonna join these virtual classroom sessions that aren't gonna teach you a damn thing. All right, is this show over? Yeah, I think it might be. No. The Raiders have investigated options, including playing games in Salt Lake City, Phoenix, San Diego, or having no preseason games and moving early season games to away games because that Raiders stadium is probably not going to be done in Las Vegas. Everybody thought they were potentially going to go back to Oakland. I thought that would have been the biggest slap in the mouth of the entire city of Oakland. So they're not doing that. This could be a time, by the way, you go back to San Diego. I don't know if San Diego is going to really welcome you in with open arms, but if you go to Salt Lake City, someplace that doesn't have an NFL team, maybe you could potentially get the uh, the pop that like the XFL got in St. Louis or something like that. Or maybe San Diego shows out like St. Louis did because of the Rams leaving and for the Battlehawks coming in. I'm not 100% sure, but the Raiders are the biggest clusterfuck of an organization I've ever seen in my entire life. They're, they're supposed to leave Oakland. They're in Oakland for another year. They go to Las Vegas. They don't have enough money to pay Khalil Mack. They can pay somebody else more. Then they go to Vegas. They set up this entire team. Now they can't don't have a state they got to go bounce around to another city. I mean, obviously, ten, 10 years from now, they had Antonio Brown. They fired Antonio Brown. They still end up having a pretty good season in spite of it all. But it's just one of those things where 10 years from now, whenever they're just playing in their stadium, I hope people don't forget just how big of a wild scene this has been for the Oakland Raiders to leave Oakland. It's been like a four-year ordeal, and we never truly know when they're going to be gone. And now worldwide pandemics stalls the the construction of their stadium. I would assume they're not working on that right now. Is, is no, they, I don't think so. They, I was driving down the street today. There's like a 400-person construction zone. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Did anybody tell these people that are just redoing all these roads out here that there's a quarantine happening? Nope, they're getting it in. Construction's they're trying to in. fix these roads now. And I, by the way, I respect it, but it looked like those guys were spitting in each other's mouths out there. I, <laughs> I just don't know if that's the right move. Do we know if uh, <laughs> is the Raiders their practice facility built? Like, Are they going to be in Vegas Throughout the week, no matter what. Dana White did a full pitch to Tom Brady about the training facility being ready and everything like that. I just don't think the stadium is going to be. I, I think, so why don't they're going to be in Vegas? What if they go to Salt Lake? I would imagine they're going to play in the college stadium. What Utah is there? I guess why don't they just play at UNLV? You know, AJ. <laughs> that would it's on, you, you play on Sundays. Be, UNLV, be. if they have a home game, they play on Saturdays. That seems to make. Too much sense, possibly. Too much sense. That'd make a lot of sense. Why don't they do that? Uh, I know that UNLV is going to be playing at Raider Stadium, so I don't know if they maybe got rid of UNLV Stadium. No, it's still there. It Sam is. Boyd, yeah. It's kind of a dump. It's they small. can't tear it down before they know they're going to be playing in the new one. Did you play in that um, Minnesota game whenever they were playing at uh... – when Minnesota was building their stadium, they had that one-year College. Rate. At the Gophers Stadium? I don't think it was at the Gophers Stadium, was it? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was at the Gophers I remember them talking about how it was like negative 10 or something like that out there. It was just freezing cold in the middle of Minnesota. It was nasty. I played there. The turf was rock hard, oh. and the stadium isn't – it's not like a full bowl. So, you know, as a kicker and punter, the wind is brutal. It's just a wind tunnel through that field. 
yeah, I played at least one really cold game there. And you're saying no concussion still. You played on pavement for a game, but there's no concussion. I wasn't banging my head off the turf. Did you wear sleeves? No, sleeves don't help when it's negative 10. Wow. Did you put the Vaseline on? Did you wear the Vaseline? Oh, you always try that, and it doesn't work. Three minutes into warm-ups, your hands are numb, and your feet feel terrible, and you're frozen. But (laughs) But you look tough. Just try to keep your hands warm. That's all I ever tried to do. Hands a hawk. You think Tua is going to get drafted over or under the three and a half? So if he goes three, that's under. Correct. Yep. That's how it works. Three would Uh, be under three and a half. Yeah. Who's at number three again? Detroit. Man, I could see him pulling the trigger there. I say under three and a half. Or somebody else jumps up and trades. Detroit gets out of that pick, takes Tua. Now, Isaiah Simmons is, will be there. Uh, Akuda will be there. A lot of other great football players that could potentially make the Lions better will be there. But would they be a pick seven or eight if they were to trade out? Mm, I don't know. How about Air Bear? Over and under five and a half. Five and a half. Five. Herbert? The Justin Herbert? Yeah, Air Bear. I say over. Okay. How about Jordan Love? Over, under 19 and a half. Jordan Palmer, who's coaching him, says he'll be a top 15 pick. I agree with him there. I think he's going to go under 19 as well. Those are all bets you can place at FanDuel right now. I believe those are the over-unders. Mm-hmm. You can make a little money if you're trying to scratch that itch of uh, degeneracy. Try to support their business, too. There's not as many things to bet on right now for all these sites. All our big sponsors, man, are in a bad spot. I feel terrible for that. I talk to them every day. It's in it. Well, not every we day. We have a lot of gambling well, FanDuel is your main is your your gambling sponsor, right? Well, and SeatGeek is our like SeatGeek is our ride or die. And there's no way in the business plan, in the ticketing business plan, <laughs> do you prepare for the entire world to stop live events. The entire planet will stop live events for at least two to three months. In the ticketing world, that's not something that you can just write in as a clause. Like if this happens, this is what we'll do. I mean, it's. Insane. Now Ticketmaster's come out and say they're not refunding anybody on postponed stuff. It's it's insane. It's absolute insanity. Yeah, think of the cash flow like a Ticketmaster seat geek had, and then all of a sudden one day it all gets cut to zero. But your expenses are still there. Which is pretty much a, a tons of businesses around the world that's happening too. But as far as live sports, when your whole business is live events, live sports, concerts, whatever – and then all of a sudden, none of that happens, and we don't know when that will come back. It's a scary time for a lot of people. Scary time. And, and there's a lot of companies asking people to take pay cuts for lowing people. I mean, it's this is an insane time that we'll talk about later in life. And they'll be able to say that one show was burst in the middle of it. And that's McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. We appreciate you all for watching. Have a good one. Look good, feel good. Feel good, play good. Play good, pay good. Pay good, live good. Live good, die good. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is the all-time leading scorer in Patriots history. It was either 13 or 14 years with them, depending if our math was right on his Wikipedia. Ladies and gentlemen, three-time Super Bowl champion from the University of Memphis, Stephen Goskowski. Thank you. What's going on, man? How are you, pal? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You just cut out for a second. I'm doing good, man. Just trying to escape uh, 
fourth and first grade homeschooling right now. <laughs> That's smart. By the way, we'll try to eat up as much as your day as we possibly can here to Thank conversate you. with you. If you, need me, if you need another interview in like 10, 30, 40 minutes tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> guest, I'm good. You know, I got nothing going on. Where are you? Are you up in New England? That's where home is? Yeah, I'm in Massachusetts. I'm in Massachusetts right now. Uh, just enduring the nice cold weather, so... It's cold over here in Indiana, too, if it means anything. We couldn't see your face there, by the way. I'm happy you are. Here we go. I'm, well, it's either you can see me or you get a lot of noise from the kids. So I'm just going to go out to my basement where I <laughs> escape and run and hide. Hey, how many years was it? 13 or 14 with the Patriots? I mean, 14 if you count last year, only playing four games. So last year you ended up getting a hip surgery. Is that accurate in there? Did you what? You got a hip surgery last year, yeah? Yeah, I got a, I got hip surgery uh, in October. Okay, so most kickers that kick for a long time, it's their hips, it's their knees. Those are the two things. For me, I had three surgeries on my knees within four years. Uh, for Vinatieri, uh, whenever I got to the NFL, he had his hip surgery operated on twice. I think his knee as well. What was happening with your hip, and how long had it been hurting? Yeah, so the hip. I mean, like you said, you know, you do something the same thing over and over again. For a long time, you're going to feel like crap. So just, you know, my plant leg taking a lot of uh, pounding over the years just kind of started giving out on me. And, you know, I had a, a torn labrum and then I had one of those hip impingements like FAI. So I was getting a ton of bone on bone contact. So um, it just if I kept playing on it and I kept doing more and more damage, I would have been looking at, you know, being 40 and having a hip replacement and um getting done done of it getting it taken care of sooner rather than later helped prolong my you know active lifestyle and possibly to continue playing uh, i mean it's something that a lot of people have gone through it's just um i was doing a lot of damage not getting it taken care of and it just came to the point where it was really affecting the way i was playing and feeling and i tried to deal with it as long as i could and then um you know, had to bite the bullet and get the surgery. Whenever I was watching Vinatieri last year kick, it was very obvious that something was hurt on him. Very obvious because his entire thing, he was squatting instead of standing tall. And anytime you get a potential knife feeling stabbing in your knee whenever you go to kick, in a game, in a kicking, if you're off by that much, it's a complete miss. I don't think people appreciate that enough that if you have something, an ailment that it requires surgery, in kicking, if you're off by half an inch, that's either a pull or a potential push. So the fact that you were able to still go out there and bomb balls, I think is very, very very impressive. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I, I don't know. I bomb. It was easy to do the kickoffs because I could get off that leg really fast. It just, um, you know, trying to keep it pl planted in the ground to get through the ball on a field goal or an extra point is what really was hurting. And I would feel very good for about 30, 45 minutes, but then I would sit down and five minutes later, I would feel uh, like I was like 65 years old. And I just was trying to deal with it and, you know, you know, we, everyone thinks they can push through anything. And then when you when it starts affecting the accuracy is when you really, you know, have a concern because the pain is something you can deal with. But if it affects your job and it's hurting the team, that's when it starts to kind of become a problem for both sides. What was the conversation like with Bill whenever the decision was ultimately made to get surgery and fix it? Uh, I didn't hear that question. What was the conversation like with Bill whenever you ultimately made the decision to get the surgery? Was it like a, hey, we need to do this. This is a smart idea. How did that conversation go with Bill? 
Well, I mean, I'm not a big fan of talking about how things go with, okay. you know, Bill. You know, he probably still has eyes on me. As <laughs> <laughs> you said a couple answers ago that if you didn't get the surgery, you'd be staring down hip replacement at 40 in your active lifestyle. And maybe you even got a chance to prolong your career by getting that surgery. What is your mindset like now? Are you in rehab still? Are you back to being healthy? Are you kicking balls still? Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, I'll be close to six months post surgery. I'm feeling feeling pretty good. I mean, feeling the best I've felt in a while. Um, you know, I don't have a gym to work out at now, so I just do home workouts and I go out to the field, high school field when no one's out there, a couple times a week and kick and run and work out and just trying to stay ready for if uh, if some teams want my services. I feel good enough to play. I know that. Um, right now, I'm just trying to. I finished the rehab. I think if I was in a normal PT setting, I would have been discharged by now. So just trying to strengthen everything up. So when it gets back to normal life, I can golf, play tennis. If I want to go uh, kick in the NFL and have a chance to do that, I'll be able to do that. So I'm feeling good. I'm getting in good shape. It's just, um, you know, I'm in better shape right now at this point in the year than I would be if I was just starting up with it with a team. So I feel pretty good about it. How are you hitting the ball? You hitting the ball well? Yeah, I've been kicking. Field, uh, I haven't done any kickoffs yet, but the field goals have been going really well um you know I, I don't kick more than about 20 kicks i usually make like 19 out of 20. Ooh, is that good i don't know you tell me <laughs> well, I have a, well I'm, I'm starting out about like 15 16 yard field goals right now yeah, no just, i'm just kidding no, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm 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 feeling good i've been doing pretty well i mean um you know you're out you're away from the game for a while you you kind of have a a new mindset and a new uh a new set of uh, focus that you have. So uh, trying to come back from this is something that gives me motivation and I'll try to uh, put my best foot forward and see if some teams teams want me and see if I can go back out there and, and make kicks at a high level. Has there been any conversations with any teams or has there been any places that you've looked around your agent and been like, Hey, why don't we see if they're interested or something like that? Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, there's been a few feelers, but until I can, you know, fly and do a physical or do a workout. It's not going to, no team's going to be serious in signing me, you know, coming off injury. So, you know, there's been a few feelers. I think the most prudent thing would be to do is wait till teams get done with the draft, see what their needs are and see, uh, you know, if my services, obviously, um, is that a dog or a child? Is that a yeah, dog? Yeah, I got dogs running around. <laughs> okay, I thought that was a potentially your kid. I was like, damn, that's an interesting sounding child the Goskowski's have over there. No, I got, I got two. Where they are? There you go. French oh, bulldogs chasing oh, we don't see the bulldog. We only see the Lombardi. But I, I there like. There we go. Oh, I see. Oh, nice. By the way, not a bad little centerpiece in the living room down there. Oh, thanks. Oh, which one? One or which one? The one right here. Oh! oh big flex. Big I got flex. My Col I got my Colts helmet, though. What's that from? What the hell is that? Um, I think Matt Overton traded with me at one of the Pro Bowls. Oh, uh, just one of them? <laughs> Just one of your Pro Bowls. You just you just had to you had to trade a little helmet out there. Good for you. Well, you know what? I got my Vinatieri jersey. You know your boy. Well, uh, he's your boy too. Obviously, I don't even have one of those in my house. I mean, this is unbelievable. How was well, how how was the relationship with Vinny? Was that ever weird early? Whenever you, I mean, two greatest kickers of the 
decades back to back in New England, one after each other. I would assume when you went up there, you realized that it was quite a mighty task to have to fill in those shoes, and you did an incredible job with it. And I know Vinny's an incredibly competitive human, and he won a Super Bowl with the Colts as soon as he came here. But how was that relationship with him? Was it ever weird, or was it a, like a cool relationship? It was never weird for me. I mean, when I – Lila, go upstairs. <laughs> Lila, come on. We're when, talking about when Uncle Adam. When I got any – can you go see mommy? <laughs> Come here. When, when I first got in the NFL. Oh, my God. She's go. so she's, cute. She's ready. How are you, you doing? This is Lila. Say hi, Lila. I'm in my nightgown. <laughs> <laughs> go good... see mommy real quick. Go see mommy. Go tell her I love her. Lila, go grab uh, Uncle Lombardi and throw it around. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was it was never it was never weird for me. Um he was always cool and respectful and you know it'd be different if i would have come in there and like they drafted me and they cut him but he decided to leave and he made what was the best decision for him and it worked out pretty well for me and uh i think it's been a mutual respect ever since i mean everyone respects adam he's he put the kicking position on the map so yeah you can't you can't have any uh, ill will towards a guy that's made everyone else's job more respectable uh, your time at the Patriots, you look back 14 years, 13 and in these four games that you had. Uh, the only thing you've known is the Patriot way. You got dropped right in the middle of the greatest dynasty in the history of sports and had a chance to finish it for the last 14 years or whatever. What do you think that you're going to take away from that entire journey there? Well, obviously, it was it was an amazing journey. Uh, you know, you don't get to pick your team. You just kind of get lucky. And, you know, with kicking and punting, you're just as good as your opportunities and to have a ton of opportunities to play in the playoffs has been unbelievable. Um, and to be able to play in a lot of Super Bowls and AFC championships has also been a dream come true. And it's a lot more enjoyable looking back, being done with it than when you're in the moment, because you don't know any different. You, you know, you tend to get a little spoiled, like, all right, here we go, going to the playoffs again. And while it's exciting, um, you know, it's, it's almost like business as usual. Now looking back at it, now that I'm, uh, done, you know, not playing for the Patriots anymore, it's, it's more fun to look back at it as a, in a positive light, like, dang, we really, I got to play in six Super Bowls and we won three of them and we went to, you know, 10 AFC championship games and, you know, you know, thank God for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick that we got to all ride their coattails for as long as we could. <laughs> a lot of people right now are talking about who's going to be more successful without the other person. And then you listen to that Tom Brady interview with Howard Stern. I think those two had a tremendous amount of respect for each other. And Tom Brady said, I know genuinely how Bill feels about me, so I don't care about the public perception or whatever what was it like being around bill belichick on a day-to-day basis that might be different than what the rest of the world potentially perceives of him i mean bill's a man if you work hard and do your job and and don't come and make a ton of excuses and you know and and do the things that Jesus Christ, hold on <laughs> one second yeah i know can take, i mute it so i don't get sent to cdc real quick <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Lila, by the way, looked like she had a great time. Did you see their hair? Oh, yeah. Oh, Lila Goskowski is going to be raising hell. I don't know if you can see it either, but there's a oh, cool there's Oh, there's another one. What's up, little buddy? What's his name? Hey, this is Gannon. Say hi, Gannon. Gannon. Hi. Gannon. What's right. up, Gannon? How are you? Gannon the cannon. Show the muscles. Oh, he ain't going to be a kicker. Right, go like, go, 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 go. Is he named go. after Rich? Yeah, is that Rich Gannon? Is it? That... <laughs> 
Did so you they na- don't like you until you're busy, and then they bug you. Well, did did you did you name that kid after Rich Gannon or the DJ Gannon? Gannon. <laughs> no, uh, the 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 bo- the evil boss off Zelda. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know. What that you is. don't play Zelda? You nah. never played Zelda growing up? No, nah, I don't stink, Steven. Come on. You know <laughs> Original Nintendo? Nah, oh. I don't play video games. I play real life. <laughs> 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 what was Bill like though? Was Bill awesome? Bill's a man. I mean, um, you know, very intimidating until this day. If I were to see him down the street, I would, I would, you know, think twice about what I was going to say. But he was very respectful, and um, he's hard to hard to work for. But he gets the best out of you. He knows how to get the best out of everybody, and uh, and he's very fair. And he's, um, you know, he he is what he what he sees. He's a lot funnier than people give him credit for. I mean, his. His team meetings, he has some pretty funny one-liners, and you know his grumpy personality can can shine a little bit and, and bring some laughter into everybody. But it's all business all the time, and uh, you know to be able to succeed and play for a coach that demanding for that long was uh, a surprise to me because I've not I've not always been the easiest guy to coach. I would say as far as I just goof off a lot, so. How that? So did you have to change? Well, I just didn't really say anything for at least three to three to six years. I just <laughs> kind of just showed up, <laughs> and then uh, once I felt like I might not get cut every day, then I maybe opened up and showed my personality a little bit. Vinatieri in year eighteen, nineteen, twenty, he acted as if he could get cut tomorrow, and it was such an interesting thing. And I think it was because he was undrafted, free agent, obviously had to go to the World League. But then in New England, he very much had this attitude as every single day was like, this could be my last day in the league. And I feel like that is why the New England Patriots have been good for so long. Everybody had that mindset, even the superstars. You listen to Tom talk, it sounds like Tom – he understands that he doesn't have to prove anything else to anybody, but it feels as if he still feels as if he has to prove something every single day. That's a great trait to have, and I think that is why the dynasty happened, honestly. I mean, it's true. I mean, you everyone has conversations with their buddies on the team like, man, they're going to draft somebody this year. Man, this is my year. They're getting rid of me. And, you know, you feel that, and we've all had those conversations forever, and um, – you know, you got to respect it. The the results speak for themselves. And at some point, someone younger and better and cheaper is going to come along and take your job. And luckily, there's 32 jobs. Uh, it's tough to play for the same team for so long, especially, um, you know, a team like that that gets so much, you know, criticism and publicity all the time. But it's uh, looking back at it. I mean, it's a, it's a wild ride. And I didn't, I didn't know any difference. So, I think uh, I think you have to like being miserable a little bit to succeed there. Like you got to enjoy the misery, enjoy uh, feeling crappy about yourself. You got to kind of like a lot of self-deprecation. You got to be very good at that. Uh, that's something I've always been good at, you know. So um, tell myself I suck and I'm fat. And- <laughs> Hold on, I, w- I want to talk about that. Do you think because you told yourself that you suck and you're fat so much, and you have that attitude where you got to? Like you're the your hardest critic. That whenever the Patriots fans started to turn a little bit there towards the end of your run here, the last couple of years when you started missing a couple of kicks, as opposed to being the automatic Goskowski that you had been for over a decade, and they started to turn a little bit. Did that ever creep in at all, or were you too worried about yourself? No, I mean I've always been harder on myself than any fans could be, and you know fans are gonna be fans. It's it's fine. I any booze I got, I probably deserved. You know it's fine and. For all the booze that I've gotten, I'm sure I've gotten plenty of cheers. So it's part of the business. The fans have been 
you know, 99% fair to me up here. There's only been a few instances where I feel like a fan's crossed the line. But, um, you know, you play long enough, you're going to have some ups and downs, especially at a position like mine. Um, you know, when I miss a kick, I hate myself. So if they hate me too, then, you know, join the club. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a guy that probably lies in that one percent. That uh, look at that guy. That guy, mass hole. Yeah. He's Love a, you, Steve. Love you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> he's a diehard Patriots fan. I've watched him kind oh, of ride the wave here for the last couple months. It's been a well, lot of not, fun. Well, it's a lot to look forward to now. You know, new beginnings. Yeah. Well, they also could stink for the next thirty years, like the Detroit Lions or Browns. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. You think with Bill, Bel- Bill Belichick, though, regardless of what he does, you think he's good enough coach, you've been around, he's going to be able to win games regardless? I mean, I think, I mean, Bill's the man. I, I have a hard time betting against him. Um, I mean, the few times we played without Tom, you know, was fairly successful. So, and it's just a different mindset. And I think what Coach Belichick has always been good at is playing to the strengths of the team that he has. And, you know, from my little opinion, sitting on the outside looking in. Um, so I think, you know, a big advantage there. It's not like they do, you know, it's a game plan week to week kind of team and, uh, he's going to game plan with what he has and I'm sure he'll be very successful doing it. Did you punt against us? Was that against us that you ended up punting? Cause Ryan Allen got absolutely murdered on a high snap. <laughs> yeah, I was in the, uh, divisional round. Uh, he got, he like dislocated his AC joint or something like that. And I had to punt like three or four times. Your first one was a bomb. I remember you hitting a yeah, bomb. I, Is that accurate? I got lucky. I got it was it was nice weather besides a little bit of rain, but um, you know, luckily I got to punt with the wind behind my back every time. Yeah. And I would have had a really good average if we wouldn't have punted from like the thirty yard line at the end of the game because <laughs> they didn't want Brady to hold on a field goal when we were already up, so they made me punt, and then I had like a thirty yard punt at the end of the game. So I think I ended up averaging like forty two, but I would have averaged like forty eight. I think. Not too shabby. <laughs> Not too shabby. I mean, 42 well, is terrible, but 48 would have been awesome. Well, it's just like uh, it's just like the casino. Like Every time you go to the casino for the first time, you win, and then you're hooked, and then you never win again. So it was like that. It was like beginner's luck. I'm like, oh, shit, I could do this. <laughs> uh, now you're all right. Don't yeah, worry. I could do yeah, okay. I could do that. Yeah, I could do this. I could punt, and then I go out and try the next day, and I hit like a 10-yarder out of bounds. So it's, it's not that easy. I just kind of got lucky. Well – you just swore in front of your children. You're a terrible person, and uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us, Steve. You're awesome. Appreciate it, man. Have me back anytime. You got well. I'll try to get you away from those kids. I can see that they're little hellions. Gannon looks like a, a, an absolute madman. Well, Gannon has probably had as much candy as you could possibly have in the past couple of days. So he's living his best life right now. Hey, Jesus came out of a cave for that. So make sure you you feed him for that. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, all pro Super Bowl champion, probably the kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next year, Stephen Goskowski. Attaboy, Stephen! Thanks. Appreciate you guys. Hey, you're the best, dude. Good guy. Beast. He didn't say no. No, I know. I, I, that was a gotcha moment. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it. I feel like I'm not a gotcha journalist, but boy, I'll slip something in at the end just to see if we get a reaction or not. There was no reaction because he can't give a reaction because. I'm assuming that's a place that he would go if he uh, was offered it for obvious reasons. Also seems very afraid of Bill, yeah, to be it, honest. Interesting that Bill still's got eyes on him, he said. So last year when he got that surgery, I was texting with him in the middle of it, 
he missed a couple kicks, and I was like, something's going on. I'm like, so uh, I actually texted him, I'm like, what's going on up there? He's like, I got a little bit of this going on, a little bit of this going on. I'm like, am I allowed to say that? Like, can I say that for you so people get off your ass? He goes, no, please do not. Please do not say anything. Bill will kill me. I was like, I was like, come on. Let me, everybody is on your ass right now. He's like, please don't say anything. So then I thought I would be able to get him in this moment to say something. He was like, nah. Wait until I'm done, done. <laughs> you think Bill was in the room? In the back. <laughs> Don't say it, Steve. Go ahead. Go ahead. Send kid number one in. Yeah, send Lila in there. He's about to say something that we don't need. <laughs> Joining us now is a man who's a walk-on at Wisconsin, don't you know? He's uh, just signed a five-year, 53 point. $75 million deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars from walk-on to broken off Pro Bowl linebacker who once led the NFL in tackles, Joe Schober. Hey, Joe Schober, that boy Joe. Thanks, guy. Thanks for having me. That's probably the best intro I've had and to any radio or sports talk show I've ever been a part of. So congratulations. Okay. <laughs> Is it the first time you've been introduced with the tag of $53.75 million in there, or have you done shows since then? Um, no, yeah, it'd be the first time, yes. And by the way, it's only going to get better from here on out. <laughs> Once that money starts piling in, you go from walk-on at Wisconsin to this mega deal and obviously leading the NFL in tackles in 2017. What a wild journey your life has been, Joe. There's no way you could have expected this. Yeah, I mean, you go from paying to play football in college to getting paid to play in the NFL and getting a great deal for some contracts, not bad. Was there any moments, because in college football, it's not easy, okay? College football is not easy. There's workouts that are incredibly difficult. The schedule is rigorous. And there's a lot of scholarship players that you have enjoyed over years while watching college football and seeing play in the NFL who have contemplated quitting in college football more than 10 times. I couldn't even fathom the life of a walk-on trying to earn your way through there. What was it that made you keep going? You said, I think I'm good enough to be here. I don't care how I'm going to have to do it. I'll kick down the door to play football. Yeah, I think um, back when I was in high school, Wisconsin was pretty under-recruited as a state. So we didn't really have a lot of guys get D1 scholarships. And then when I walked on to Wisconsin, I mean, they have a pedigree of, of walk-ons who have made it, who've played and contributed in college and also gone on to the NFL. So there's that um, standard that was set before me. But like the first fall camp practice when I got on the field, I mean, you, you've been in NFL or college football practices. You can There's people who are on scholarship who are fourth-year, fifth-year seniors. I was just like, these guys can't play football um, <laughs> athletically. Athletically, I fit in with the best of the guys on the field at practice. So I think that I just wasn't strong enough, didn't understand um, the mental aspect of the game at that point. But I was confident I'd be able to get that stuff down. And um, from that first practice on, I knew I belonged. It was just about working and getting an opportunity. You go to the Cleveland Browns. You see a little bit of a turnover in your career over there, obviously, from yeah. Hugh to Freddie Kitchens. What was the conversation like in the locker room with the boys? It's like, hey, we're at a place that has one of the best fan bases in all of football. The Dog Pound is just a loyal, active, drunk bunch that is awesome. I am a big fan of. But there hasn't been much success on the field for whatever reason. Whenever there's a turnover that happens from the Hugh to the Freddie Kitchens era, what was the conversation like in the locker room with you and the boys? I think, the. I mean, uh, when I first got there, Joe Thomas was still on the team. Um, he was a good voice, a good leader. He'd been around a long time, obviously, not a lot of winning seasons, but he's a Hall of Fame 
he's the first ballot hall of famer so people know he does things the right way um and he was a good steadying uh, voice in the locker room and i think um as time's gone on obviously with coaching turnover um the only thing that really stays constant is a locker room um the guys who have been there and unfortunately cleveland not a lot of guys have um but guys like christian kirksey joel batonio some of the longest tenured guys now on the team were great leaders great uh, vocal advocates in the locker room did a very good job of uh, connecting with people um to just make sure people understand that i mean this is the nfl it stands for not for long that doesn't coaches not for long players not for long the guy next to you a locker mate not for long um you just got to put your head down and work and stay positive because if I mean, we went through 0-16, 1-15. Um, except for that, 7-8-1 uh, last year felt great. Um, <laughs> I could so fathom. Just, uh, yeah, just keeping people's spirits up in the, in the hard times so when things do turn around, do get uh, better, um, you can enjoy it. Last year, uh, you were part of a team in a situation that the football world has never seen before. A man took off another man's helmet and then hit yeah. him in the head with it. That is a... <laughs> wild thing to happen on primetime television Thursday night football in the locker room directly afterwards the team I assume Freddie talked to the team I assume Miles Garrett was in there what was the reaction by the team whenever you guys actually got a chance to probably on your phones run it back again and see what the hell actually happened because I assume there was a little bit of a blur in the middle of those types of situations I don't know if everybody's memory is as locked in it's like what the hell just happened what was the fallout from that with the boys in the locker room and on the defensive side of the ball in particular because Miles Garrett was potentially up for an MVP like season he was yeah. dominant through that entire thing now you lose him now there's a lot of questions about the locker room and discipline and everything like that you're a leader on that team and i'm making a pro bowl what is the conversation you're having with everybody after that entire situation i mean yeah it felt like when we walked in the locker room like you were on a a detective tv show where they walk into a morgue and <laughs> you know you're gonna have to tell somebody some terrible news about uh their family member being dead here in a little bit <laughs> you're just waiting to figure out what the punishment's gonna be what's gonna be said obviously you know Social, it's Thursday night game. Everybody in the country is watching it. You know, so it's going to be an uproar uh, social media wise. So it was, I mean, we beat the Steelers, which as Cleveland Huge. is the top, them and the Ravens is the top of the list uh, of teams to beat. And there was no smiles in the locker room after the game. It was just sitting, everybody's wondering. Obviously, you go check your phones and see social media blowing up. Um, and you're just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, the ramifications of it are going to be, and you don't, you don't know. Um, you just know they're going to be bad. So it was definitely um, a shock to the whole team and whole defense because, um, you know, Miles, he got suspended for the rest of the season indefinitely. Um, Did you ever think Miles would do something what? like that? Did you ever think Miles would do something like that? It seems so out of character. No. I don't know anything about yeah. him just from what I've seen from afar. That seems so out of character. That had to be pretty crazy to you guys to see as well. Like, that's our guy. Yeah. That's not normal. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was definitely – I mean, I was – it was a pass place. So I was – 30, 40 yards downfield, walking back to the huddle, and I saw it going down. Um, and it was just – you. Miles is a great guy. He's a great uh, individual. He's calm. Um, I'd probably like liken it to the with Andre Johnson fight with Cortland Finnegan. Oh, yeah. Like, Andre Johnson was not known for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, something – in my opinion, something had to have happened. I'm not going to have any allegations yeah, of can't. things being said, but – um, whether it's pushes, whether it's a built up from going against offensive line, offense and defense line all game, hating each other, taking it out on the quarterback, or Mason Rudolph doing something, who knows? But my, that's that's not in Miles' character to do something like that without without a reason. 
wild scene. You stayed above it, still had an incredible season, just like you had in years past. Now you're signing on with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, to hopefully build something down there in Duval. Just a couple years back, people forget, they were in the AFC Championship game against New England Patriots, and they took a knee before half. And everybody thought that if they let Blake Bortles open that thing up, maybe they actually <laughs> end up in the Super Bowl. A lot has changed since then. Why did you pick the Jacksonville Jaguars, aside from the money aspect of it? What do you, What is the conversation going down there, and what are you being told by the coaches in front office and stuff like that? Yeah, I think free agency was a roller coaster, especially this year with the question marks of is, is it going to happen, is it not? Um, you have to go get physicals, but you're not allowed to fly, or they're not allowed to fly to you to get physicals, sign contracts. Like It's, it's totally different this year. Um, and But it was uh, came down to a couple of teams, but uh, Coach Marone uh, and uh, GM Caldwell uh, wanted me to join the team. They wanted uh, they're, they're preaching a message about, um, to me, bringing in good football guys, good character guys uh, to set uh, an example the right way in the locker room, leading and speaking. I, um, and then for me, especially getting into play with a guy like Miles Jack, another linebacker, yeah. uh, be the Mike linebacker, take over the defense, do the things I do well, setting a defense, uh, diagnosing plays, uh, calling out things for, for other people to get set, and then letting Miles Jack just go and play football and be the animal that he is. It was uh, a very um, appealing thing for me. Oh, are you like one of those Rain Man type guys out there? <laughs> no, I'm not a Rain Man guy out there. I just listen to what the offense says, and then once in a while you can figure things out and understand what they're trying to do and make plays because of it. Is there ever a time in a game where you know exactly what the other team's doing and you're trying not to let them know that you know exactly what they're doing? Yeah, I think, well, especially when you play against teams like the Steelers, who you play the, the, the division rivals, when you get in those games, like, Pittsburgh Steelers line up in a three tight end set and they're, everybody's tight. You know they're going to run the Le'Veon Bell zone kick, obviously. Obviously. Um, Le'Veon Bell's gone, but they did it with James Conner. So it's like... Obviously. It's the same exact run play that they do on third and one, fourth and one, whatever. They're always going to run that play and it's a staple for their offense. So they just line up in that set and you're like, it's deja vu. I've seen it before. We've played it before. And with in Cleveland, we've dominated that the last couple of years. So that, that's like what Luke Keekley was known for, right? Luke Keekley was known for knowing exactly what the other team was going to do and also known for being this very quiet, reserved guy off the field, go on the field, flip a switch, maniac of a man who knows exactly what's going to happen. That is quite a weapon to have. I'd assume that a lot of teams were after you in, in uh, free agency. Yeah, we had a good amount. Um, I think as the price cut, you know, teams offered a little bit more and a little more, people dropped off. Um, your team's dropped off, so and uh, there's a couple left at the end. Bengals and Jaguars, I think, were the, the final two. Um, but, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a good aspect to have on the field, especially when you got a lot of people. Like in Cleveland, when you got the Miles Garretts and uh, Olivier Vernon's on the end, and you get run pass keys, you get a check. Like I remember a couple years ago our, when Greg Williams was our D coordinator, uh, they would talk about pass protections all the time. I knew – just the code words for every single pass protection in the NFL and just click and it's like miles go or <laughs> like before the snap and just have a code word to tell them just to go. Um, Damn. Those, those kind of things turned off to a lot of uh, turned into a lot of positive plays for our, for our rushers. Yeah. I could fathom knowing exactly what the other team's going to do. That seems to be quite an advantage in a sport that you're trying to trick other people in what they're yeah, doing. I mean, that's the thing I always tell the young linebackers. If you just listen as a linebacker, the offensive line has to communicate to what the defensive line's doing, to where the linebackers are. Like, sometimes they use dummy cadence, but 
if they say single or duo and to a number, it's a run play. You know what they're going to do. <laughs> they say 5-0 or if they say the quarterback says three jet, two jet, something like that. You know, it's pass protection kind of blocking and you can plan yourself accordingly. Obviously, sometimes things they trick you. They Some teams build in uh, dummy calls, um, but for the most part, they generally hang true. And if you can just use that to your advantage, you your step ahead is that why tony romo knows what everything's everybody's gonna do because he's got a little <laughs> oh yeah. yeah yeah i love i love watching games and tony romo's talking he's he's great about identifying the down safety uh the numbers in the box it's it's pretty simple when you actually think about it but to do it that fast on the fly like if there's eight guys in the box they check they're going to a pass and he knows what kind of concept they're probably doing um it's great for i think the average nfl fan who doesn't know as much about football to kind of get an insight into everything that goes into the game because one of my pet peeves is seeing people say football there's eight minutes of action in the whole game and because they go from the snap to the time the whistle blows but there's so much mentally before during and after the snap that goes on that people don't understand um i think he does a great job of pointing stuff out like that and it's good for everyone well that's the difference between being a good and a great player right that's why the nfl is filled with great players that's why there's so many great athletes that are on the streets that aren't in the nfl because there's so much more going on it's chess at all times you got guys watching film for 10 hours a day trying to get just one little advantage and obviously you've just gobbled them all up that seems <laughs> you're a little bit of a cheat code over there with your, what did you do what was your major at wisconsin something my major at wisconsin i was a forest science major so if I was in the NFL, I'd be working in the DNR or the National Forest Service or something out I, there in the boonies. I saw you send a tweet out to go fishing with one of your new teammates down in Jacksonville. You big outdoorsy guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, Tyler Eifert down there deep sea fishing. It was making me jealous. I'm, I'm in Wisconsin right now staying at my in-law's house um, for this whole <laughs> quarantine thing, uh, me and the wife. So I was a little bit jealous to see that picture of him and, you know, wishful thinking to be down there in Florida. You got $53 million. $53 million you're staying at the in-laws. I love that. That humility, yeah. that walk-on humility is going to take you to far places. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's one way you could say it, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even – that would be a – I love my lady's parents, but I couldn't imagine being locked in their house for, what, a month and a half oh. at this point. I couldn't even – I saw you benching or, or squatting in the middle of the living room, I think. Is that is, – is that That's the uh, the basement. I'm taking over the basement. I just got my rogue rack came last week, which is great. Um, I had just a little stands before that, which would wobble every time you'd rack rack the squat bar. Um, but I, I can do everything essential pretty much. And then there's a, a field down the street I can go and do my running at. So it's just a little bit boring to do it by yourself day after day. What's the virtual OTAs looking like? Have you gotten your uh, Zoom meetings and all that stuff? Have you guys done any of that? I don't know what it is. It's just now making its way out. Everybody's saying Dak is refusing to do it. It's voluntary anyways. They're trying to do these virtual OTAs. What is that about? Do you know anything about it? And what do you think this OTA offseason is going to look like? Yeah, I don't know uh, much about it. I got a uh, Teamworks app, which we have. Um and the NFL just they kind of send out the information through that app. I just got a, a form yesterday to fill in, out information for contact me. Uh, so like my email and phone number and all that stuff. So I think they're still in the process of figuring out what they're going to do in Jacksonville. Um, but I'd imagine, yeah, a lot of Zoom meetings, like linebacker meetings with the coaches going over uh, installs and stuff. And I have no idea. There's they said workouts and stuff in there. I don't I don't know if they're gonna want us to be FaceTiming in workouts or <laughs> or just logging logging it on, on the internet or something. I don't know how they're gonna try to track that, but it's gonna be interesting. It's the first time this has ever happened and 
I mean, I'm, I don't anticipate my schedule and stuff changing too much, but uh, we'll have to see here. I think it's supposed to start next Monday, I think. How comfortable with that defense are you? Do you already understand it, basically, or is it going to take a little bit for you to kind of get as comfortable as you were in Cleveland, obviously? Um, I, I don't know the exact terminology they use because every defense has different – they have different words for the same thing. You just basically have to learn a, a new language. So coming in, you always just have to kind of get that um, get that down. Um, but in that in that NFL, after you've been in it for a little while, all defenses are, there's only so many ways you can play cover three. There's only so many ways you can run a fire zone or a zone pressure and or man to man coverage. You just have to figure out uh, what the coaching staff is calling it, and then you work that in there. I are mean, you worried you're going to get bored? Scheme. Are you are you worried you're going to get huh? bored? Are you worried you're going to get bored? I'm already bored. Yeah, just <laughs> give me something else to do. Sorry, uh, stimulate the mind a little bit more. Yeah, I would feel like once you figure out Philip Rivers' offense here with the Colts, Deshaun Watson over there in Texas. Now, granted, they might trade away their entire offense at some point. <laughs> Nobody knows about that. And then the Tennessee Titans after last year. Have you looked into the AFC South now and understand that OG Philip Rivers is coming in with a couple weapons with the Colts. Deshaun Watson and the Texans made a great run last year until they ran into the buzzsaw that's the Chiefs. And then the Tannehill, they also ran into the buzzsaw that's the Chiefs. They got their enti- not their entire team, but a lot of their pieces back. Have you looked at the lay of the land of the AFC South? Yeah, I've looked uh, at it a little bit. And with the Browns, we played the Titans three out of the four years, I think I was mm. there. And then we played the Texans two or three out of the years as well. Um, we played against Philip Rivers, I think, twice. So I've, I've played against a lot of these teams before and uh, the guys. I mean, Philip Rivers, I always uh, – two years ago when we played him, he's a just – he's one of the guys – he's like the Luke Keekley of the offense. He knows what you're doing. A lot of quarterbacks will know what you're doing and then in their head make their checks or make their checks to the team and do it. Philip Rivers will know what you're doing. He'll be like to all those guys on offense, all right, they're in man coverage, we're good, and then snap the ball run the play, um, beat your man coverage, and then just kind of laugh about it afterwards. He did that all game long. <laughs> so annoyed. We were trying to disguise everything, and it just didn't work, and he's just calling it out. And I, I remember go, leaving that game, and, man, Philip Rivers is a Hall of Fame player. I don't care what anybody says. He doesn't have any championships. That guy knows his stuff, and he's just so cocky about it on the field. It's great. It's great to be a part of uh, that kind of stuff. I love that type of stuff. And they picked Philip Rivers over Tom Brady here in Indianapolis. I don't know why. I guess that could be a reason. Uh, Joe, good luck down there in Duval. Good luck staying active and not getting too bored during this quarantine. And I appreciate your time, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem, ladies and gentlemen. Wealthy, intelligent <laughs> linebacker for the Jaguars, Joe Sherman. Oh boy, Joe! Hey, did you play hockey growing up in Wisconsin? Nah, basketball, baseball, track, and football. What you do in track? You threw stuff. High jump. Really? Oh, yeah. You used to do the six, Fallsbury six. flop or whatever. What is it called? <laughs> yeah, Fallsbury flop. That was me. Six foot six. Yeah. Is that is that good? I don't know if that's good. No idea. That seems good. He said yeah. it's good. This guy's smarter than I am. Yeah. I, I don't that's know. Good. Yeah. The winner at our state uh, high school did seven feet, though, so I didn't. I wasn't close to him. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get seven someday, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Sherman, appreciate you, buddy. Can't thank you enough for choosing to listen from all of us to all of you. Please stay safe and remember, COVID nineteen is a bitch. All right, Ty, please play some independent music.